Hello, and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hoger. Stephen is here in my apartment. I'm here, and I think this is going to be one of the few actually low-key episodes. You know what's funny, Stephen? I what? think I think we said that last week also. Well, sometimes you're stuck in a pattern and, <laughs> and nothing's new, nothing's fresh. Yeah. It's rotting away. <laughs> last time you were here was, I think we recorded the episode before the season premiere it was it was the episode before the nintendo yeah, ds premiere. that was that we were out on the decks we were out on the about, deck uh a leck head and three hopes <laughs> that's true yeah and just kind of like mused while like sirens went by uh, it was cool it was a nice summer day it was a nice summer day and and uh today it's freezing so we it's are freezing. inside uh so actually i was so cocky i'm staying with my family in this month for the holidays and uh I was deciding what kind of jacket to wear into the Big Apple. Yeah. And my mom was like, you should wear your winter jacket. It's really cold. And I was like, no way. I'm from Chicago. This is nothing. This yeah. is summer. New York me. doesn't even understand what cold is. And it's like actually freezing. And it's also SantaCon, which means it's hell on <laughs> earth. And yes, Dante's hell is icy and cold. So yeah, that's true. I'm glad I wore my jacket. Thank you, mom. Yeah. Do you want to explain what SantaCon is? Because I, I feel like that's a thing that maybe not everybody in the world knows about. So... There are seven actions you can take in life that are considered deadly <laughs> sins. Murder, mm-hmm. uh, betrayal, and then there's dressing like Santa to go to Hoboken or Midtown mm-hmm. to drink Coors Light until you pass out. Yeah. I don't know if it's nationwide. I think it might be a New York thing. Yeah. But I, I vaguely recall Santa's in Wrigleyville for some reason in Chicago yeah in Chicago which I think Wrigleyville is a weird nexus portal to New Jersey because it really (laughs) does Chicago's got its own energy except for Wrigleyville which Wrigleyville is like what everyone makes fun of New Jersey for being, but mm. it's actually Wrigleyville. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, Not a lot of time to think about this. I lived in Wrigleyville for a very long time. <laughs> so, SantaCon, yeah, it, it is that. It's a bunch of like bros dress up like Santa and then go bar crawling. And yeah. it's like, it's like a, a swarm of locusts dressed as Santa Claus. I, you warned me because I was taking the train into the city and you warned yeah. me today is SantaCon. I was like, okay, fine. Yeah. So, it started off quiet i got out of the car to the train station and then a car a suv pulled up next to me and a guy came out and said to someone else get ready for santa con not dressed <laughs> up yet and then get on the train the yeah. train is pretty calm it's peaceful i weirdly have become nostalgic for nj transit so whenever i get on yeah i'm always like, this is kind of fun i i, I do like being on the train mm-hmm. i learned I get to Secaucus, which longtime listeners know weirdly has become like canon to our show somehow. Yeah. Get to Secaucus. I love that so much. Secaucus is purgatory. I get to purgatory Mm -hmm. and I start seeing the elves in the sand. I actually know no Santas, just elves for some reason. Interesting. Just elves waiting. And (laughs) this is a great welcome back to New Jersey moment because I'm in Secaucus and basically Secaucus is where all the train lines connect in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And if you're taking any train and transferring to get to New York, to Penn Station in New York City, you have to go through Secaucus. Right. And usually you get in, you go to the A track or the two track. The next train to New York City was on the A track. I got on the A track. I have my AirPods in. 
I'm waiting for the train. This guy snaps in front of my face, which only could happen in the Northeast, yeah, I feel. Yeah, absolutely. Specifically in New Jersey. No one has... If you get near someone in Chicago, they say sorry, like immediately. <laughs> yeah. They say sorry or you're fine. Yeah. There's this Midwestern like insecurity in the air. Yeah. The two places I've seen that in my life are the tri-state area and Italy. Snaps in my face. Yeah. And I go, what? And he goes... You going to New York? And I said, yeah. And he goes, no, you're not. Not here. (laughs) They changed the track. It's track two now. And I'm like, this is perfect because he did me a favor in the rudest way possible, which is exactly how... New Jersey and New York operate. Yeah. I feel like I feel like never in the history of this podcast where we're constantly fucking bringing up New Jersey to our global audience. Yes. Yes. Have we ever landed on something that is so singularly New Jersey? Like that is what New Jersey yeah. is, is that exact interaction. Yeah, exactly. Crystallize this, dear listener, and keep it at, in your frontal lobe for the rest of your life whenever we mention New Jersey. I think on this the podcast. top state for those who are metrics heads of, of the Aether <laughs> fandom. Uh-huh. Uh, our top state in the U.S. is California, which is the exact opposite vibe of New Jersey in yeah. every way possible. Right. If you snapped in someone's face in California, I think you would have to move immediately. Unless you're in Hollywood, maybe. That's true. Unless you're like, yeah, exactly. If you're calling like an actual cut. Yeah. Do you live Do you live in Beverly Hills? Yeah, exactly. Know? But anyway, so elves and guys snapping in my face. And when I finally get to Penn Station, I get out of the train. Santa's everywhere. Right. Santa's at whatever the nearest bar in Midtown is. <laughs> and I, I, the, the thing about the commute to New York City in general. You came into Penn Station, right? Penn Station. Yeah, yeah. those bars are all shit also they're terrible yeah not even being a snob they're like actively bad you're gonna yeah. pay like 20 bucks for a Coors Light I I, w- I want to be very specific here I worked like in Midtown for a, a really long time yeah I've, I've worked in in three parts of Manhattan uh in in my time working in New York and uh all of the bars in that area because I would have to like go out and find the one that I'm gonna go out like drinking with my co-workers at after work uh those are the worst bars in New you're York you're gonna have a better time bringing like a secret water bottle of whiskey into a TD bank (laughs) in Midtown than any of the bars. All of this is a fun way of saying that Steven is here in person in my apartment. And it might sound a little weird, which usually is what happens if we record in person and AJ is not present. AJ is our is our uh, is our audio god. Absolutely. And that will be the case for our game of the episode, which is next week. Great segue, Stephen. Thank you. I'm good at taking us off track. And it was taking us on track. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm some 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 people say I'm the Secaucus of. Uh, uh, excuse me. We're back on track now. Oh, sick. <laughs> What's up? I was snapping in your face. Oh, yeah. Hey, he it's kind of amazing that he knew exactly where I was going. You yeah. know what I mean? To be fair, there was an announcement happening at the same time that I was totally but you had in. Yeah. And I might have just been staring into space. I'm sure he saw me and was like, who's this? Who's this guy? Nobody. Yeah. Tourist. Yeah. Yeah. Sitting there with his AirPods in. Yeah. Listening to God knows what. Yeah. Anyway, game of the year. Game of the year is next week. Very we're, exciting. We're, we're going to be Philly. recording in yeah. Philly. Yeah. At AJ's apartment uh, with their incredible setup. So it's going to sound just like last year. Yeah. And maybe these microphones also, but it'll still sound better. <laughs> um, but we've basically been in full preparation mode for that. Yeah. So I think we, we want to open this episode maybe just talking a bit about how that process has been going. Yeah. And just sort of checking in. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll start. Um, yeah, go for it. I feel like... Hey! <laughs> I can't I can't snap with my left hand for some reason. Oh, really? I snap weirdly. So the, maybe this is the worst audio segment possible. It's, it's entirely visual, but there is a sound produce. See, 
I I sandwich my index finger between my thumb and middle finger, uh-huh. and then I just make it happen. Yeah, most people it's it's like I don't know I don't know how to do it. Yeah, I actually have a harder time with my left hand. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> Andrew, you, you can toss that into the bin if you need to. <laughs> actually, Stephen, I just wanted to pop in here and say I can snap pretty loud with both hands. That's my left hand. <laughs> And that's my right hand. Thank you. Usually my move with Goaty, uh, yeah. and what I've learned, especially since signing up and becoming a really big fan of Backlogged.com. I love Backlogged. Me too. Uh, is what I, what I used to do when I was really, really um, like very meticulous about keeping track of music that I was listening to mm-hmm. is I would create a playlist in Spotify at the beginning of the year, every year that was like songs I liked that came out this year. Um, and I have all of the, I have like folders and folders of playlists of stuff that I was keeping track of songs and albums that I like that came out that year. And then at the end of the year, I would kind of like revisit them and listen to them all again and then kind of arrange them into like a loose top 10 just for myself. I would never like do anything with it. It was just like, just for me. Just for fun. Yeah. yeah. And the advent of backlogged and websites like it has meant that I am starting to do that for games also, which is honestly a really much easier way of keeping track of this stuff for me than it has been in previous years. Yeah. Um, last year was the first year that I really kind of did that. But this year, you know, I made my 2022 list like immediately and I've had two lists that I've been going simultaneously. One of them is all the contenders, which is a public list. And the other one is the ranked list that I've been keeping and updating all year. So I've like had my top 10 which is I think currently the the list is like 60 games. I think it might be 61 wow, yeah. as of this week, but it's like 61 games that are ranked. And and as I play games and continue to make my way through them, I've been like checking in with backlogged and moving stuff around um, throughout that entire experience, which has been really interesting. So like my top 10 has been kind of crystallizing all year, which is really cool. Um, but it's, you know, obviously very much at the whims of whatever's coming out on a week to week basis. And now that we're in this place where like if a game comes out between us recording this episode right now and when we record next week, I don't think that's going to count for me. No. It, yeah, it, it's it wouldn't really be feasible because like I don't think we have a hard rule about like you have to beat the game yeah. or play X of the game to have it qualified. But like a week is not enough time to consider something. Yeah. You know, we're talking about a game at the end of <laughs> this episode. That is exactly that. That is exactly that. Yeah. We're like, I think it might count for me because I put in enough time already and I feel like pretty comfortable yeah, for it. You know, like I, I think I think it'll count for the list. I don't know if it'll make the top 10, but like I know it'll like count as a contender for me, but it's like right under the wire. You know, like if, yeah. if this game had come out literally like two days from now, it wouldn't count. Yeah, post game awards is a tough time. Post game awards is a tough time. Yeah. Absolutely. But that having been said, I mean, now I'm in like, I, I have checked out everything. Like Immortality last week was kind of a big one. I've also now played Immortality to completion. Yeah. I think we might. I mean, we will uh, later today. <laughs> We're recording a, a just kind of like spoiler chat about it just because, I mean, I'm dying to talk like full spoilers yeah. about that game. Um, and I played it twice. So I feel like I have like, I have a lot of thoughts about it, but anyway, that'll be on the patron feed probably um, either this month or next month, but yeah. I mean, we're going to record it tonight either way. Yeah. Anyway, immortality was last week and there were two other games on the list that I wanted to check out, like games that people had been saying over and over again, like this is probably like a goatee contender that I felt obligated to check out. I feel like the games that I haven't been able to check out are literally just like, I don't have enough time, you know? Yeah. Um, 
usually i think in the past this is kind of the big shift for us this year versus previous years is like there's usually one or two games that everyone is like this is a goatee contender but it's only available on pc so you and i can't play it and now right, we like both inscription have... and yeah uh, disco elysium and uh yeah a few others and now that we both have steam decks it's like oh we can play most things it's like it's i think very few and far between where like a big indie pc hit drops and is not playable on the steam deck so yeah really the only thing we're limited by now is our own time and the amount of time that we can spend <laughs> on playing games which is honestly it's like on a, us now it's a cool place to be it is um and and i think this is such a weird year in general in terms of releases that like everyone's list looks so different um yeah with, with it's, the exception it's, of elden ring being somewhere on the list like you have no idea who or what is going to make it. Which is exciting. Time. I mean, it's kind of like we've been doing this show for this will be our what our fifth game of the year episode. Fourth. 2018, 19, 20, 21, 22. Yeah, you're right. Fifth. Fifth. So we I think it's four and a half years of doing the show. Yeah. Our fifth year will be next summer. Right. Um, but we've we've now done five game of the year episodes. And like what I've learned, like obviously everything is subjective and like yeah. you know, that goes without saying. And 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 I think it's hard to really like I, I, I always kind of preface game game of the year episodes with this of like lists are like inherently impossible and a bit silly yeah, to like right. kind of add numeric value to what is a subjective experience with Mm-hmm. with a medium but i think it's a really really valuable exercise on a personal level yes to like really explore like what what is my taste like what resonates with me and also with with us with the show we have a unique opportunity to be like how has that changed over time yeah you know like i i think you and i have both really grown in our appreciation of games and like what games we're comfortable diving into and like mm-hmm. i think we have a much more accurate sense of like you know our relationship with games but also i think we're eternally open to seeing how that develops yeah which is cool yeah totally um, and very, very publicly needing to do that yeah yeah i think the other thing too is like our show the intention is largely to celebrate games we love and i think game of the year is always a crystallization of that mm-hmm. uh so i think for for those two reasons for like the personal exploration and the external celebration yeah which is my band name uh <laughs> So all that to say, like, I, I think it's interesting to see what years people's lists and publications lists are similar and which years they're like wildly different. Like last year, I think, was a really interesting case where it was like that rule of that everything is subjective came to surface in a visible way. Mm-hmm. Where like there was not a single publication, maybe like a few went with for inscription. Yeah. But even then there was not like a unanimous like there's usually like the triple A game and like the big indie hit. Yeah. And that year was just all over the map, which is so cool and right. exciting. Yeah. Yeah. You and I had pretty different top ten lists last yeah. year, which was pretty cool. Because um, the year before, like our twenty twenty one was us like basically uh, as a two man parade in unison. <laughs> yeah, very much. Yeah. And and I feel like this year is also gonna be really all over the map, which yeah. is really fun. Yeah, um, it'll be exciting. Because this year's just been especially good. Like I think uh, again, what I've learned during this show is that every year is good. There are more good games to check out than anyone has time for. Right. But I think like this year and 2020 feel especially jam-packed. When I feel really, really strongly about what I've put in eighth place, that's how you know it's a good year. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and I'm in, I'm interested in what next year is going to be like, I think. Yeah. Because um, so many of the games that we were excited about coming out this year are now pushed to next year. I would guess next year is going to be a little bit more AAA focused. I think especially so too, like. Yeah. 
I mean, if all goes according to plan, even just from Square Enix, we're getting Final Fantasy 16. Yeah. Which looks wild. I cannot wait for that game. Yeah. Are uh, you I, I'm a little bit nervous about it at this point. I'm less nervous because we're getting FF seven remake part two. Yeah. So I'm like, what I actually want is already <laughs> taken care of. Yeah. And whatever the hell this is, I'm excited to see. Yeah. So I'm I'm kind of embracing the every entry is gonna be a different thing mindset. Mm-hmm. And I think like it definitely looks a little bit like arguably edgelordy. Yeah. Which we'll talk about more when we talk about the game awards, I think. <laughs> uh, but like it's so committing to a vibe and like mm-hmm. the giant summon battles and like yeah. that stuff looks sick. Yeah. So I'm excited to see what they're doing. I will say this about what we've seen of FF16 so far. It feels wildly different. Mm-hmm. Which I appreciate. Even if I hate the game, yeah, I appreciate that it's it's going in its own direction. Yeah, it almost feels like uh, a really really dark take on Final Fantasy IX in a way. A little bit, yeah, because it has the classic kingdoms and stuff, but like yeah. it's all. It feels a little bit jacked in the sense of <laughs> Jack Final Fantasy the bullshit. Yeah, you know, right. it feels a little bit like that, but a little bit less Limbiscuit. Yeah, I think you're right. It yeah. has that kind of like get in the way right. I think the, but the, also there there was a moment in that trailer where like everyone is freaking out because you know like i think the kingdom is being bombarded yeah and and one of the characters put their child on like an armored chocobo to send them off which is like inherently silly yeah, the, the chocobo isn't always at levity yes yeah which is very funny yeah so anyway that's coming next year that's coming next year and also i think uh also potentially the second part of f7 remake but we'll see if that if that yeah. comes through and then like breath of the wild 2 oh my god starfield <laughs> uh yeah. and more i mean uh, i i'm excited about the next uh jedi fallen order game uh what is it jedi survivor like i'm excited yeah. about that like i'm excited i'm excited about the triple a stuff next year it is just interesting that like this year all of the stuff that we were excited about going in kind of got moved except for elden ring um, yeah which came out so early yeah that it was like okay what does the rest of 2022 look like and i think the answer is like oh that's that's different depending on who you are and i found that the stuff that i've gravitated towards this year has been like both stuff that i think is extremely my shit but also things that i never really thought i would have gone for it's interesting how many games kind of tackled the same thematic idea and the same mechanic ideas this year you know like it it was it's a little bit like the illusionist and the prestige coming out in the same year (laughs) in terms of like games having like really scathing indictments of the like capitalist mindset kind of like leaning into being more text-based you know kind of like disco elysium crpg stuff yes Um, there are so many games like that that came out this year and they all kind of stand out in their own ways which i think is really cool yeah like things like exocolonist and citizen sleeper and like norco and even like strange horticulture all kind of going after similar ideas in similar ways absolutely with completely different vibes or even um, citizen sleeper and spaceship uh hard space shipbreaker yes yes yeah just like a lot of games I think are tackling the same thematic ideas in their own ways with their own voices. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of top 10 lists end up looking like, okay, this is like Elden Ring and then capitalism is fucking the world. Yeah, it's Elden know? Ring and, and, and cyberpunk sci-fi. Yeah, which arguably even Elden Ring is 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 about capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> Elden Ring is about those in positions of power failing the world. Yes, exactly. At yeah. least. Yeah. And I think you can map that to a lot of things. Right, <laughs> it's fascinating. It's it's so interesting how many games were that this year. Um, and and you know, outside outside of that, like the AAA space was kind of light, and it was it's kind of cool in that way. Yeah, it was atypical at least. And we, there was still like Horizon, uh, Forbidden West, and Elden Ring, and God of War Ragnarok. Yeah, Xenoblade. Um, yeah, Nintendo I think had a strange year. 
They did because we yeah. we got two Pokemon games that both felt a little half baked in their own way. Mm-hmm. Even though I think both ga- like both Scarlet and Violet and Pokemon Legends Arceus are like simultaneously the most ambitious Pokemon games yeah. in a long time and the freshest. Yeah, and also like needed more time in the oven. Yeah. And taken as a package indicate like a really strong future for the franchise. I think so, yeah. You know, but also individually each leaves. This is the first time I want Scarlet Violet too. I think I've said that before. Yeah, I wouldn't mind like make it as soulless as possible. Just release the same game. Pokemon Move. Pokemon Move. Yeah, Yeah. uh, exactly. But uh, Nintendo. I mean, what Splatoon three and Xenoblade. There, there were a lot of really big games for Nintendo, but there wasn't the like Zelda or Mario. Yeah, like Pokemon sold especially well, but I think it comes with that caveat. Yeah, right. And even outside of like game podcasts, like, that is a thing people talk about. Yeah, you, you can't not. Yeah, I think one of the things about Pokemon for me that I I have kind of learned about my experience with Scarlet and Violet and Arceus is like I'm kind of tired of saying this one gets me more excited for the next one. Yeah. I feel like sword and shield kind of, was was almost the end of my rope there where it's like oh right. yeah the wild area is so cool and so interesting and like i can't wait to see a whole game like this and then you play scarlet and violet it's like oh this is such a cool idea i can't wait to see them like really nail this on the next one because it's like oh they just haven't nailed it for so long now that i'm i'm a little bit like at the end of my rope there um i mean i still really love those games and i really love rcs but i i feel like turning to the dark side on that a little <laughs> bit which is really unfortunate I mean, it's hard it's hard not to ask those questions yeah. based on the experience that's provided yeah even and if you love them yeah it's hard not to ask those questions nuance dude nuance all of this stuff can be true at once um i can love the game and be critical this of it. was like the year for nintendo's b team it yeah. was like kirby splatoon yeah. yeah xenoblade all of them were like we're fucking ready for the spotlight yeah. zelda take your time we are ready for this <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, I am excited about about that stuff for next year, though. I think it's yeah. really fun. But it was cool to have like AAA kind of take a breather a little bit. Going back to your point about like a lot of games this year kind of covering somewhat similar topics. Uh, I feel for the first time in a while making my list. I'm like fairly settled on it, but there there are a handful of games that are kind of like wavering in and out. But mm. it really does feel like each of them are like my game of the year for different genres or different ideas. They all kind of like this year I felt it's felt the hardest to order them because I'm like, this feels like the best version of this kind of game or this kind of game. Yeah. It's like, how do I say that like this experience was better or worse than this experience? At a certain point, you can't. Mm. But you know, it's been it's been fun to try. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. I was kind of up in the air if I wanted to talk about this on the show, but I feel like I should because I feel like it's part of what the show is about. But I, I I feel like this is this year is interesting because I I really love and I've had a hard time like making a top ten again because like we played six. I mean for me at least I mean like sixty one games that I played that were contenders for goatee yeah um you know some of them better than others obviously all over the map like some of them never stood a chance etc etc i would say like for me the games i deeply considered there was like 25 at least so like still a pretty yeah yeah i I would say yeah my top like 20 to 30 are all like really strong contenders there um the weird thing about this year for me is that I, I feel a little bit less emotionally attached to the stuff that's made my top 10. Like some stuff is just like my 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 reasoning for why it's in the top 10 is like, oh, it's just good. Good. You know, good whereas game. last year, you know, writing that list up, you know, for our medium and stuff like I really had like 
very strong emotional reasons for a lot of those choices. Like Monster Hunter yeah. Rise being like my connection to like friends. <laughs> yeah. For example, I mean, Monster Hunter Rise came out before there was a vaccine. So we were still very much yeah. in isolation. You know, and that, and that was my game of the year for that reason, because it yeah. was like the, the way that like you and I hung out and the way that like we hung out with our, our friends uh, all over the place. And even like, you know, people like my partner and like our friend Alana, for example, who we just saw earlier today, like people who had never gotten into Monster Hunter before were getting into Monster Hunter specifically. Also, Persia was really good at Monster Hunter. Yeah, she, put was, it out there. she was, she was really great. Good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and very fashionable as, as always. Of course. Um, but like people that had never gotten into Monster Hunter before were getting into Monster Hunter for totally different reasons than anyone had ever gotten into Monster Hunter. It was like, yes. oh, it's a social scene, actually. Yeah. Like, Kamara Village is like a place you want to hang out with your friends, you know, and and I feel like every game on my top 10 last year had some kind of emotional drive for its placement and its reason for being on that list. And I feel that less this year, which is weird. Like, I, I don't I don't feel as emotionally invested in some of the stuff that I would say like of the top 10 currently thinking about them like I would say four of them I have like very strong emotional reasons for why they're there and the other ones are like this is just a great fucking game <laughs> which yeah. isn't bad to be clear no I, I get it and I, I think that also kind of goes in tandem with last year being more all over the map yeah it's like whatever you chose from last year like meant a lot to you yeah inherently yeah whereas this year they're like there are just some hits yeah that are hard to ignore and i think like sometimes when something achieves like like elden ring for example not yeah. a huge surprise probably going to be on our list in some way <laughs> yeah uh elden ring while i had a really great experience with it on a personal level it's also so it's such a moment of pop culture mm -hmm. that it's hard to really feel like it happened to you yeah. And it wasn't just like a star you witnessed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. Yeah, very much. How do you claim the sun, man? Yeah. Even the, even though it being like, I guess for most people, and I know that there's like a whole multiplayer scene, but for most people, it's like yeah. a single player solitary experience. The thing that's so brilliant about Elden Ring, I think, is is you know by being an open world it almost like kind of grows that aspect that's always been kind of unsaid about FromSoft stuff that's like you need to exist on the internet when this game is out yeah because you need to be conversing with people about what you've seen and how you've seen it and like what it all means and and by being an open world game it like quadruples down on that idea and says like yes if you're playing I, I think we said this like in our episode about it if I'm not mistaken but like you know people asking oh should this be the first FromSoft game that I get into should I be playing other ones first like to prime myself for this and I think you me and Chris Plant all gave the same advice which is like no no no, no. get Elden Ring now play it now while everyone else is playing it you'll never have a better time playing Elden Ring than while everyone is experiencing it simultaneously yeah. not to say that it's like any worse if you're not experiencing it right when it came out but i think i think FromSoft knew that that moment was going to be really big and that everyone was going to be sharing information and like almost doing like guerrilla marketing for that show you know like every everyone was uh, that game sorry everyone was marketing elden ring for elden ring you know what i mean right and I, I think also like for all from soft games like the notes left by players i would argue is part of the experience yeah right because there there is game design around the idea that people are going to help each other yeah which is i think the optimistic spine of the entire <laughs> franchise right uh yeah. and they also know people are going to mess with each other too yeah. it's like you get the best and worst of humanity in, yeah. in Elden Ring. Jump off cliff, item I, below. I've had a couple friends, though, who have played that game purposely in offline mode because they found the notes distracting. Interesting. Which 
I understand. I mean, it's, it's kind of like playing Breath of the Wild without the the HUD. It's like mm. just fully immersed in this isolating journey. Yeah. But I would say, from my personal experience, you should play it online. Yeah. Even if you don't do co-op or, or PvP, like getting the notes and getting advice and giving advice. I love leaving notes. Like yeah. I love Me too. sharing like, hey, in my journey, this corner sucks. Mm-hmm. So avoid it. Like it's, yeah. it's great to leave <laughs> a little, little drop of a legacy mm-hmm. in someone else's adventure. Yeah. And that's Elden Ring. It's Expect to hear more about it. Yeah. Maybe an honorable mention. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you you and I in in terms of Goaty Prep have been revisiting a bunch of games and mm-hmm. you and I both started new save files in Elden Ring which I think was really helpful I, I will say that I so far removed from Elden Ring like I, I've gone back and tried I've tried playing it every once in a while over the year you know since it came out and for the most part I haven't had like that all engrossing experience until I would say last week when I like started a new save I was like I'm just gonna like start from scratch start as a wretch all over again you gotta start as a wretch and uh, and give it my all and like i found that with most games i'm revisiting as long as i give myself like literally two hours at some point at the 90 minute mark i'm like oh i i remember why this game grabbed me so completely the first time i played it yeah um and i'm feeling that again about elden ring where like i think i've put like another i think maybe 15 hours into that save file already somehow um i'm feeling that again about like xenoblade chronicles 3 which you and i have talked about a little bit off the show but like I've had a hard time revisiting that game until I told myself I'm going to sit here for two hours and play it for two hours. It's like, oh shit, this game fucking rules still. It's pretty good. Um, You know, because I mean, so much of that game is like a huge UI in your face the whole time you're playing that it's like (laughs) sometimes hard to, if you've taken like a month or two away from Xenoblade Chronicles 3, it's a little bit hard to dip back in. Yeah. But I will say it's a lot easier to dip back into than any of the other Xenoblade Chronicles games, which is uh, an an interesting thing. They do a good job setting up to succeed in that game. Yeah, because the 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 battle looks like nonsense. What helped me was Xenoblade Chronicles Three. If you have also played it or are trying to play it, and you feel overwhelmed by how many characters are on screen, yeah, think of it like you are playing like a World of Warcraft raid, yeah, with your friends, and that like like it really is a single player MMO in that sense. Yeah, you know, you're all doing your part, and you kind of implicitly trust the the AI is pretty good. Let them do their thing. You're doing yours. Yeah, you're all in a band. You're, you're all in a band. In a band. Yeah. But for the most part, I, I would say just like the revisiting of games is when the list gets shaken up the most. Yeah. Um, I, I I think am resurfacing feelings I didn't know I had about some games by revisiting them, which has been really fun and just like investing more and more time and stuff. So anyway, we're recording Goaty next week. I'm excited about it. I also finally set up Xbox Cloud Gaming on my Steam Deck. Hell yeah. Which has been really cool. And it's allowed me to because I don't have my I'm home, so I don't have my Xbox with me. Yeah. But I'm able to play some stuff. It's a little bit like it's a combo of like it's still in beta, mm-hmm. I believe. And also like the connection in my room and my family's house is not good. Yeah. So like some of the experience has been kind of on and off, but like it's been great to be able to have that library mm-hmm. to check out before we record. Yeah. I will say that my best cloud gaming experience all year was probably Power Wash Simulator. <laughs> I used to nice. play that game every night before I went to sleep. And uh, great. Great you game also for did, that. Uh, it was not Xbox, but you played 13 Sentinels remotely, right? Mm-hmm. Through cloud gaming. Yeah. That was yeah. a good, good experience. No, it was awful. <laughs> no, it didn't work at all. That was that was part of the, the beauty of playing that game. Uh, through. Well, I remember it didn't work, but you said that added to like that it did, for that yeah. game. It works. That, it, that it was the beauty work. of it. Yeah. yeah, it was like it, it worked like shit because like PlayStation's version of that is like fine. Yeah, but it was exhilarating that it worked at all. And then every time it disconnected, it was like, I don't know, 
felt like it was part of the game. <laughs> it was narrative. Yeah. yeah. Uh, narratively driven disconnect. There are a few games where like the game not working will add to the experience. Yeah. And that's one of them. That's one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Cloud gaming. It's an amazing thing. It's pretty cool. And I, it's only going to get better. So like, yeah. I think it's a really, it, it's a little bit tricky to set up on the Steam Deck. But there's a lot, there, there's even a, a public support document from Microsoft about how to do it. Yeah. And it really just involves like copying and pasting two lines of code. Yeah. One. Yeah. Basically. When they're like open up console and paste this line of code, I was like, uh oh. And then it was like, oh, it really is just like hitting copy and you'll paste. you'll feel like a genius. Yeah. You'll never <laughs> feel smarter for copying and pasting. Yeah. But That's it works. Great. It works really well once, once you get it going. Um, you know, I set. Depending the, on your internet. The icon for like on Steam. Because yeah. when you add a non-Steam game, there's no art for it. Right. So you can upload your custom artwork. Okay? Yeah. The icon for <laughs> Xbox Cloud Gaming is Mike the Liar for me from Oblivion. <laughs> you just uploaded a picture yeah, of Yeah, I uploaded the liar. a close-up of Mike the Liar. <laughs> and I use, like, because Microsoft also, they have, like, they're like, for artwork, here's all the I was going to say, because they have, like, stuff. a zip file that and you I can And I use that for the banner and for the, for the, uh, I, like, the icon when it's more vertical. Mm-hmm. But for the for the game icon, Mike. That's awesome. Mike the liar. Because yeah. you can play Oblivion. Yes. Through cloud gaming. I can also get Oblivion on Steam. You could just play Oblivion <laughs> on Steam. <laughs> but it won't be the same. Yeah. The Steam Deck. Steam Deck. It's amazing. It's I, pretty cool. One th- one thing I'll shout out, which I'm not going to talk about this week because I haven't played enough of it, but I, I I downloaded and started the tutorial for the new Dwarf Fortress release. Oh, cool. Yeah. On the Steam Deck. I'm so curious about that because I've heard about that game for, for years yeah. and I've never played it. Yeah. We'll, we'll get more into it in like a future episode at I'm some sure. point because I, I want to like invest some real time into it. Yeah, um, me too. What I'll say about it now is that I've tried playing it in the past using like, you know, watching videos on YouTube as tutorials and things like that with like the old ASCII art style and stuff um, and like totally couldn't get it at all. This game's new art style, great new music and the tutorial that's baked into the game are fleshed out enough that I feel like I'm getting a handle on it. And if I can get a handle on it, then I feel okay about like going on Google and like figuring other stuff right. out. Um, so I I think I'm getting onboarded. Like I think by you know this time next week, I might kind of know what I'm doing in Door Fortress, and that's yeah. really exciting because that's the most approachable this game has ever felt. You right. know, yeah, it's it's it's. I feel like it's like famously imparsable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like the most gate kept thing of all time. <laughs> uh, truly, and and is cool that. Uh, I, I think the team that are making it have decided like, yeah, let's let's let more people into this world, which is very exciting. Oh, yeah. Um, and it worked great on Steam Deck, which is fun. That's very fun. Yeah. Steam Deck is cool. Absolutely. Well, why don't we take a quick break? And then I think the next section we're going to talk about the Game Awards a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that sounds uh, great. I hated to disappoint. Some people were expecting like a next day thing after the Game Awards. Yeah, or, or like a that night thing. Like yeah. a leakage. Yeah. yeah. And I, I apologize we weren't able to, but we're going to just share like what we're excited about, what we yeah. thought of it. Not like, we're not going to do everything, but it's sort of like what we walked away excited about. Because there was a lot of really exciting announcements on that Game Awards. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, just to address the the lack of a leakage, I mean, you and I just like didn't make plans to yeah. even cons- usually before an event like that you and i will be like hey if this is really good we should record something afterwards yeah. and we didn't even have that conversation because no. i think we both just assumed it wasn't going to be great last year's game awards it was such a bad experience that i remember i was on the phone with our friend will 
and we were like we had been quiet for an hour which takes like that means something has had to happen because <laughs> we're we're a chatty duo yeah we watched that and i think i don't even know if it was to him or myself but i just said what was i excited for out loud and then it ended yeah and like they were like i mean it was it was fine but it was just there were a lot of things to criticize about it and like towards the end you could see people leaving the event uh it was just a mess yeah it, so this year was definitely better despite everything else yeah um where why wasn't i oh i was at the opera you're at the opera <laughs> <laughs> and we had made it we were like so we'll funny. record something if it's good and i was like let's not even bother yeah yeah i, I actually remember during intermission reading your text that was like don't yeah. worry about it because it's a bummer because we we don't like it's very easy to make fun of and it's fun to make fun of but like it could also be an exciting event. You don't want to dismiss the teams that win who like really deserve it. Yeah, know? right. It's the same thing as the Oscars. It's like, yeah, it's such a sham. But it's also <laughs> like when there's someone who really deserves something that gets it, you don't want to debase that either. Yeah, totally. And ultimately, all these award shows like they exist to celebrate the medium and to generate conversation around it. Mm-hmm. So regardless of what wins, if there's an event that allows people to like talk about games critically and celebrate them, like I want that to be good. Yeah. You know what? I, I think the the healthiest I've I've felt or the healthiest take I've had on award shows like this was, you know, when I used to like get riled up about who was winning or losing the Oscars, for example. Yeah. Was when I reframed it as I'm excited about who's getting nominated for yes. things. Yes. More than who's winning things. Because yes. like getting nominated is the cool thing. Winning is icing on the cake. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like whoever wins at the Spirit Awards, it's always like who should have won. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. Like there's like a separate award show for just like who should have got the Oscar. Right. Yeah. But like Immortality didn't win anything, for example, but like got nominated for a bunch of things that, you know, it was up against a bunch of triple A games. And that was yeah. really cool. Things like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. You know, being Tunic like oh, as well. Yeah. Cool yeah. to see, you know, games like that getting recognized on that. Level. Totally. But uh, anyway, let's take a break. Then we'll talk more let's about take the, a break the, the, the game awards. The game awards. Jeff Keighley presents the game awards 2022. Sounds good. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back. It's the Game Awards time. It's Jeff Keighley presents the Game Awards. Um, I had a fun time. I think. Me too. Again, I, I explained how I go into these things and, and I, I always want it to be good. Yeah. With level set expectations. Yeah. There's been hits and misses throughout the history of the Game Awards. Yeah. And Summer Games Fest. There were, in the time of doing the show, there was that one Summer Games Fest that like rocked. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? I think that was the first leakage, wasn't it? Oh no, that was also Game Awards. That would, I think that was Summer Games Fest. Was it? I think because that was Sephiroth and Smash. No, it might have been. I think that was the Game Awards. I think you might be right. Yeah. Either way. But yeah, regardless, hits and misses. There, there, what there, there have been good Summer Games Fest as well. But I, I remember early on with the Game Awards, it was like the first one was like a proof of concept. You were like, oh, I could see a future for this. Second year was a little bit better than the first year. Third year was a little bit better than that. And then I feel like slowly but surely it kind of became more like a, a marketing thing than it, yeah. than anything else, which like is kind of inherent to this type of event. Exactly. And weirdly like video games as an industry also, sure. it's, it's interesting. I, I think like that the Oscars are not like showing trailers for new movies during the Oscars, you know, but, yeah. like that's become a part of the game awards. But, uh, I think this year struck the best balance and, Interestingly, Jeff Keighley tweeted out a thread that was before the Game Awards happened that was like, I just want a level set for everybody. This is going to be the shortest Game Awards we've done. It's like still going to be two and a half hours, which is a long time. But 
by being shorter, we're sacrificing a bunch of revenue, which is true. I mean, I know this like from my job, like the longer yeah. you run a stream, cause like I, I'm helping out with like Comic-Con streams and red carpets and things like that at work. Yeah. The longer you run a stream, the higher your chances of retaining and hitting higher numbers in terms of like concurrent viewers and things like that. So like he literally is losing money by shortening the show, but he thinks it's going to make a better show. And I, th- I, I thought that that was commendable and I totally. know that's a little inside baseball, but, um, I, I think that proved to me that he's been like listening to a lot of the feedback, especially yeah. after last year's yeah. and taking a lot of it to heart and figuring out how to make the game awards like a sustainable thing. He's thinking year, about longevity. He's not thinking about like, I want, th- I want to make so much fucking money this year. He wants the game awards to be like around as long as the Oscars yeah, are around. I totally agree. And, and I think um, like the, the biggest issue with last year was that it was really long and most of it was advertisements. And right. then the actual winners of the awards were like rattled off like it was the second. Yeah. Which like, happened a lot again this year, too. It still did. It happened too That's often. That's my big feedback yeah. for this year. You know, is like best mobile game happened before the awards even happened. Things like that. Yeah. Which like, I don't know, give, give people some time in the spotlight. Give people some time to like actually accept their award, you know? Yeah. Huge shout out to the orchestra, as always. They yeah, kill unreal. it every year, especially unreal. this year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I forget who it was. Oh, it was the director of uh, It Takes Two from last year before he he delivered the game of the year thing. But it, he was like, I just want to take a moment to talk about how cool it is to hear your game's soundtrack played by this orchestra. And, yeah. Like, gave, gave a real shout out to the orchestra, which was very cool. Absolutely. That was a nice moment. They're always the thing that makes it worth watching. Yeah. Like, that medley at the end is always so cool. Yeah. Some of the best musical performances also... Um, Hosier showing up to do the God of War score was yeah. like such a cool moment. Honestly, totally. I, was, I was really impressed. I mean, even even in the Discord, which like honestly, our our Discord during live events like that is always so fun. Like the live threads, yeah, it's a really like, enjoyable peanut gallery. Yeah, yeah, which usually is. It's just like a, a a bunch of like peanut gallery experiences. But even this year, it was like, oh wow, this is fun like we're yeah. all having a really good time actually. there were still i mean like you always kind of want a bizarre moment to make fun of yeah like that is part of it too yeah like al pacino provided for us al pacino year. yeah getting on stage and being like i don't play video games and i can't read the teleprompter let, <laughs> let me let me just wing it yeah it was like awesome um we gotta get al on the aether one day yeah i feel like he's he's an inherent part of the aether yeah. for some reason um yeah. we'll find a game that he likes al pacino if you're out there <laughs> We'll talk about Godfather for the Wii. Yeah. yeah. Uh, us and the 400 billion other podcasts that would love to have you on. <laughs> throw, throw us on the pile. Um, Yeah. And then early on with like Christopher Judge winning best performance uh, and giving an eight minute long speech as they continue to I try saw, and play so him off. Cards on the table. Most of my Game Awards watching was on the phone with a friend of mine and yeah. it was like low volume in the background. Yeah. And then like the minute a certain trailer for a certain sequel came on my like jaw dropped like the mask and and I was fully glued in. Yeah. So I didn't really hear the speech. I didn't even recognize that it went that long. Yeah. What was, what was that all about? Uh, It was, he just, he just got on stage and like just kept thanking people for a really, really, really long time and talking about the experience of making God of War Ragnarok, which like was cool, but also was like, you know, there's a reason that they play you off when you are speaking too long. (laughs) And usually my feeling about that kind of stuff is like, Oh no, you should let this person thank people. But eventually there is like a, you know, the sake of the show even if it's yes. like all good content yes you know? like you're accepting an award 
And I obviously this has never happened to me, but I imagine that in the like fervor in the like mental headspace that you get in when it's like, oh, my God, I've won an award and now I'm on stage and now I need to figure out who I'm supposed to be thanking about this. Yeah. I imagine you lose all sense of time and space, you know, any moment where it's like I'm having the best time of my entire life. You completely lose track of how long you've been there. Uh, So I imagine that's probably why they play people off at that point. But uh, for some reason, they weren't playing him off for like the first five minutes. And then for the last three minutes, they sure were. And he was still going. And that was wild. Um, But uh, incredible performance, though. Yeah, it's a great performance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's great. And I'm glad he won. I mean, he was up against a bunch of like, honestly, other great performers. Absolutely. Um, And, uh, you know, I I just I I think of that like extremely long Christopher Judge speech. It's just like a funny moment that happened. But the the (laughs) Jeff Keighley kept calling back to it like that was his callback joke over and over again throughout the rest of the night, which is like, don't dunk on the people that won awards at your show, man. Like, that's a bad look for you, Mr. Keighley. But uh, anyway, that having been said, for the most part, like it was a pretty good show. It was pretty tight. You know, it still was long. Like, I think two and a half hours is a long time, but that's like kind of part of the course for award shows. Like, yeah, I think that's that's a good length to shoot for. Yeah. And it felt tight and that was good. I don't know. I was, I was pretty happy about the Game Awards this year. Yeah, it was it was fun. It was a fun time. And then there were the announcements. There were the announcements. So what do you... So, okay. So I guess we got... I was about to say what you were most excited for and I didn't know the answer. Yeah. Uh, they it's announced- Remnant 2. <laughs> Which you're only half kidding. CJ and, I, and the Hammer make a return. Yeah. Remnant 2 was one of the things I was most pleasantly surprised to see because Remnant was a game you and I loved that is kind of a mess. Yeah. But there is a lot to really love about it. And yes. it's like the perfect setting for a sequel. Yeah. You know, there 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 are games that we've played on the show that we really love, but we're like, this needs, like, I feel like Scarlet Nexus is a similar game where it's mm. like, there's so much going on here. And there was a trailer for a game that I was like, are they doing Brain Punk Act 2? It wasn't. <laughs> I was heartbroken. But uh, there are games where it's like, this has so much going for it, but it wasn't really like perfectly executed this time. But if they get another chance, it can get there. Yeah. And I think like, Remnant 1 is still a blast. Like, it's a lot of fun to play. The, the first impression of Remnant, for those who don't know what it is, it's essentially like the elevator pitch was Dark Souls with guns. And like it begins in sort of a Fallout world, but also kind of a Western. And there's like <laughs> strange plant tree-like apocalypse demons that you're fighting. And, like, yeah. That's the point of the Kinda game. Kind of like you- the, the villains in The Last of Us yeah like the infected yeah it has that vibe and and you might see this as like this looks like an ai collected every like big game and threw it in a pile right and then it weirdly becomes kingdom hearts with like the worlds you go to and stuff and and something about the chaos of the change of settings the co-op focus yeah and the powers you can get it just becomes a lot of fun it was like some of the most fun i've had in a co-op game yeah really time. really streamlined like equipment stuff going on also yeah. whereas i feel like you know if you're if you're taking a lot of inspiration from the souls games like taking taking like the equipment and, and like stats spreadsheet of those games and and kind of boiling them down to their bare essentials was really smart yeah. but I, I do think you're right like it was pitched as dark souls with guns but my real pitch is that it's dark souls but co-op yeah oh when you die they throw like nietzsche quotes at you, you yeah that? it's like here's a here's Bizarre. a quote from winston churchill for some reason uh yeah it was so weird yeah so i kind of i can't wait to see what the sequel does i think there's there's an opportunity for that to be a really big success i think yeah i hope so i mean i i'm gonna champion it at least we'll we'll have fun with it at the very least yeah anyway you were alluding to a different one yeah uh so they they announced hades 2 yeah which you you shared on tumblr 
to quote you, you're like, I've never really identified with the like crying, screaming, throwing up thing until yeah. I saw this. And I feel the same way. Yeah. Like I, I didn't know what to do with myself. Like my, yeah. like I felt like detached from my body in that moment. Yeah. It was like when people, like the footage of, of like teenagers screaming when they see the Beatles. Yeah. That's how I felt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or like Elvis. Yeah. Um, but like, I, I mean, we loved Hades. I, I've said many times and I'll say it again in the time we've been doing, and this is just my opinion, but we've played a lot of games for the show and we've been doing the show for four and a half years. And I can confidently say of all the games that have come out in that time, Hades is the best one. Hmm. Or at least I think pound for pound, if, if, if you force me to say, like, what is the best game you've played in the time doing the show, I would say Hades. Yeah, I think that's probably true for me, too. Um, I think it, it, is, it is representative of the things we all like you and I love in games. Yeah. And it's just like it, it just constantly deli- like it's 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 perfect in what it's trying to do. Yeah. I find that it's still delivering also. Yes. Every once in a while, I jump back into my old save file. And I still have new exciting experiences in Hades. I say out loud, "Why am I ever playing anything else when I <laughs> when I start Hades again?" Uh, so I, I and it's it was such a big hit for Supergiant, and I've I've been a big Supergiant fan since Bastion, and right. like I've loved all their games. I I think that like it's safe to say that I think Transistor and Pyre were more of a mixed reception mm-hmm. for some, right? But even both those games have really brilliant ideas and like incredible art and music. So yeah. like Hades' success. I don't know anyone at Supergiant at all, but it did feel like a friend's band getting big. Yeah. I'm like, I I feel I'm so happy because also like if you followed Supergiant over the last decade, you know, that like they've retained a lot of the same talent. So like Mm -hmm. Darren Korb has been there since the beginning. Yeah. uh, And and is also the voice of Skelly and Zag. Yeah. They're like a really tight team. Yeah. And and that no clip documentary about the making of Hades is incredible. It's so good. I I, I really and I think Hades is also like in a time when we're constantly having to address like awful like crunch culture and all this stuff like super giant i think is also like a gold standard of like here's a team yeah dedicated to their craft that are also doing it in a way that that values them as human beings right so like i think hades is a very important game regardless of what you think about it but i knew like i kind of had this theory that i kept to myself that they were going <laughs> to do hades dlc because like there's a point in the end game when there's like a big area that doesn't really serve a purpose. Mm, yeah. That I, was, I feel like there might be DLC like in this area. Mm-hmm. And so when that trailer began and I saw the art style, I immediately knew it was super giant. Yeah. But I wasn't sure if it was like a new game. Like for, I, I saw the, the headdress colors. I'm like, Oh, this looks like Hades. Yeah. And then I saw like the characters and all oh, these, these are new characters. This isn't this is Hades. I know. Yeah. These are new characters. Yeah. For, for me, the, the moment that I clocked was like, okay, so there's like the witch, right? Yeah. That's fighting a character who's like a silhouette, and the only thing that you can see of them is is the like the the um kind of like Julius Caesar like yeah. leaf headdress that Zag wears. Um, and I was like, this is definitely Hades related, but I don't understand how or why. Um, and also the fact that they were fighting, I was like, is this a Hades fighting game? Like, have Supergiant decided that their next thing? Which is I would be a fighting also game? that'd love. be sick. Yeah. yeah, to be clear, I'm a Poseidon man. That'd be so funny. Yeah, uh, you're Poseidon man. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, little nephew. Yeah, I'm gonna kick your ass. Yeah. <laughs> wow, it's a lot like my family. Um, yeah, but 
Yeah, I I don't know. I I I like you thought that there would be DLC for a while, and then like slowly but surely, like more and more and more time went by, and like Supergiant wasn't saying anything. And knowing them and knowing the way that they develop games, I was like, they're working on something new. It's yeah. like I think they would have announced DLC if DLC was coming. Um, but they historically, if you don't know anything about Supergiant, they historically are like new IP every time yeah. like they're like we're they're like old school pixar yeah, yeah i was just about to make yeah. the pixar connections like yeah they they do not make sequels pixar's whole deal was like they would only make a sequel if there was like a really good story narrative reason if they felt like there were things that were left unsaid like cars three yeah yeah right like exactly like cars three <laughs> sorry walt the thing that's interesting about hades too and and they they have like a an faq on their site right now that's like kind of explaining like why they decided to make a sequel to hades which i think is very funny that they like kind of even need to do that but they need to do that because they've been so publicly like kind of against the idea of doing sequels for so long that they were like at this point in our studio's career the most challenging thing for us to do is to not make a new ip yeah <laughs> like is to make a sequel and they they very specifically call out they're like the only reason we would ever say yes to doing a sequel is because it's a huge challenge and we want people to be as excited about this game as they were about hades the first time like if we can if we can craft a game that's as like challenging and exciting and interesting as hades was again then we've accomplished our goal which i think is that's a really commendable and really difficult thing to set out to do it feels the the one-to-one which is ironic considering the time that hades came out but the one-to-one comparison for me is spelunky like spelunky Mm, 2 tried to recapture all of the magic of spelunky 1 and i i think does so for the most part like it feels like it feels like spelunky again but everything is just slightly tweaked and slightly different in a way that makes things exciting and makes you feel like you need to be learning um but also spelunky 2 came out the same week as hades so yeah, uh bit of the horizon situation yeah there. weird yeah. irony there but if if hades 2 can do for hades what spelunky 2 did for spelunky i think that that's like a really exciting oh conceit. yeah I mean, it's also like they talked about like like uh, in that same FAQ on on their website, they mentioned like, you know, do I need to play Hades one to know the story? And they're like, if you're familiar with the mythology or the events of Hades one, there will be things like you will fill in the gaps. Yeah. But we want this to stand on its own. Right. And like even from the trailer, I mean, it's new characters that all look incredible. It's new. It's a new story. Seems to be in a new location as well. So I imagine it will largely stand on its own, which is I think that that kind of is the best of both worlds where like in in some ways is a is a new IP in the sense that it's like removed enough from that original setup. Yeah. But it's still in that same world. I mean, because Hades was so far and away their hit. I think in that no clip documentary, yeah. I don't know if this is I, I don't know if I'm remembering exactly correctly, but I feel like Hades, like when it first came out, sold better than like all their previous games, like combined mm. or something. Yeah. Um. So it's hard not to see the, the numbers there and be like, we should do this again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. There's definitely uh, they'd be they'd be very silly, I think, to drop the ball on that financially. You know, it's it's them not making Hades two is uh very similar to what Nintendo did with Animal Crossing New Horizons. <laughs> We're like, that's it. Yeah. Nothing else. Nothing else. Sorry. Uh, Bye-bye. Maybe we'll make another one of these one day. (laughs) Yeah. In eight years. Yeah. But Supergiant was like, no, we'll make one right now. Strike while the iron is hot. It's also, yeah. I mean, they said they'd started working on it in 2021 also. So like it's been in development for a year. Uh, Yeah. And and that was a year after Hades came out, which, you know, like had a decent amount of updates and had been in early access for a long time. Right. What I'm really excited about for Hades 2 is that you and I can most likely play it in early access, which is very exciting. Here's my, are are you going to? I'm really up in the air about playing in early access. The thing is, my friends, you know who you are. I had several (laughs) close friends for years Uh 
messaging me about Hades. Mm. Like, I think he really like even people that listen to the show were like yeah. the the prophets of Hades were so right because mm-hmm. they're like I think this is like a game you and Brenda really like. <laughs> and and I, and I saw like the Twitter for Hades was very because I followed Super Giant, so I saw a lot of the artwork and I knew that Hades existed. Yeah, and I knew that it was good and I knew that I wanted to play it, but I had no way to. Right and. I think on one hand, like I, I have played a few games in beta and in early access. I, I checked out uh, Baldur's Gate 3 right. last year, I think. Yeah. And uh, actually, that's another announcement that's coming out in August, which is very exciting. Mm-hmm. Con and now again, I think Baldur's Gate 3 is going to be like Witcher 3 big. I think it's going to be that's like, fun. I think it's going to be the first like very D&D-E CRPG to achieve like mainstream appeal. That's cool. That's my that's my call. I love that. And we're pretty good at calling things by accident and not. <laughs> so I hope we're, that I'm right. We're good at calling things by accident and bad at calling things on purpose. So I'm I'm hoping that this that's one works true. out for you. But I I played I played <laughs> I played Baldur's Gate three in early access and I was really impressed because I I am uh, someone who really admires Divinity Original Sin two. Yeah. But for me that was like the most I like that that was a little bit too far out for me even mm-hmm. in terms of being a little little bit like i i think i described that as a game of D where the dm left the table and like there is so much room for possibility that like i learned that i kind of like the bioware approach with the dragon age or mass effect where it's like it's on the rails a little bit yeah like there there are sort of authored events that can happen within like two or three possibilities the the possibilities of divinity are are almost endless but it also leads to like oops you tripped on ice that's it Start uh, the game from the top. You lost that character. Yeah. And yeah. It's like, I found that to be a little bit obtuse. I also just found like getting around, like knowing like what my objective was, was always kind of unclear. Right. But I also loved the writing and I loved the role playing possibilities and playing Baldur's Gate three. I'm like, this has everything I like about divinity with a little bit of Dragon Age, with like the campfire and getting to I was going to say characters. that trailer reminded me so much of Dragon Age. It feels a lot like Dragon Age. And What's fun is like the characters are just so fun in Baldur's Gate 3. Like they're fun in Divinity as well. Like I love the Red Prince uh, and I love the weird skeleton guy. But in, in Baldur's Gate 3, like you have, there's a lot of irony to the characters where like there is a wizard who basically has like a magical time bomb in his chest. And if he dies, it advances his plot because he like recorded a message like in case he dies. <laughs> uh, and Whoa. there's also uh, there's the vampire uh, who's like just a vampire who I love. Um, but there's also one of my favorite characters is this guy named Will, who is a warlock. And this isn't really spoilers. Like you can see this in the character art on the cover of the game. But Will is a warlock who when you meet him, he has this like persona of like being like this hero this like folk hero in this in this community where he's like doing all these good deeds for people and he has this sort of like Don Quixote energy to him but then you quickly learn he sold his soul to a demon basically and like that's where he gets his power so he's like trying to do good with the power given to him by a demon yeah like I love that so much yeah there's a lot of that to all the characters and I feel like like having a little bit more of a Bioware like you get like opportunities like meet these characters and 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 like meet them at their level at like the campfire and stuff like that and mm-hmm. also having this like wild story with a really out there framing device with all like the D mechanics it just feels a little like i think even just having the combat rooted in fifth edition makes it approachable enough for people that are like maybe outside of the tabletop scene a bit yeah so are you gonna play hades in early access <laughs> <laughs> 
I think I might. I, I like I like seeing the pro. So what I did for Baldur's Gate three. Thank you for reminding me what the original point was. Yeah, wait, sorry, not not to. Not, I don't want to dunk on your whole Baldur's Gate three thing because I, I actually no, really am okay. excited about that game. Yeah, I just I just want to double down and say I, I really am excited about that game. Yeah, that that trailer for me was like so exhilarating. Yeah, and seeing a release date, I didn't even understand how excited I was about Baldur's Gate three because I, I was so thankful that you like trudged out into the early access wilderness and played that game and came back and were like this is going to be sick uh i'm i'm i think that's like one of my most anticipated games of next year what i did was i i played a, a bit of that and i was like okay this like when i played it it was still pretty raw yeah like things just didn't work yeah it, like in, in early access like you know sometimes it feels like this game is like ready to go but they're refining mm-hmm. and then sometimes it's like this game is like still like pretty you know, n- not rough. complete. Yeah. So when I played it was that from what I know, they've done a lot of major updates and I've resisted the urge to check it out. Cause I, I, I got enough of a taste. I'm like, I'm going to wait for the full release. Yeah. But I like that. I have a bit of a heads up and I think for Hades too, unless I'm someone who is like in a position where I can actually like share feedback, which could be fun. Mm-hmm. I feel like, um, I might check it out and be like, Oh, I'm excited for this. Yeah. And then wait. Yeah, my thing with hate the first Hades was kind of like you, where I knew it existed. I I was not as big a Super Giant fan. Um, I I have enjoyed them as a developer for a long time, but have never really clicked with any of their games. Yeah, um, I've always wanted to. That was kind of the big thing for me. Was like it was it was a developer where every time they released something new, I would try it. And then it wouldn't really work for me. But I was like, one day they're going to get something right. Because I love everything that's going on here. Like, it's clearly a really talented team. Um, and I've said as much on our like early Hades episodes and stuff. But I knew that Hades was coming. Knew that they were building a roguelike that was really narrative driven. And was like, that sounds like my shit. And I need to not think about it until I can play it. Um, <laughs> because I, I also, like you, didn't have a way of playing it. right? Like, it wasn't out in early access on Mac. So I really just had like no way of accessing it. And... Now that I do, I've like really confronted with this question of like, oh shit, should I check it out? I'm I'm a little bit nervous about it. I yeah. I, re- I really I don't have an answer still. Um, yeah. It reminds me a lot of Rogue Legacy too, where like I I technically had a way of playing Rogue Legacy two in early access and I didn't because I was like some I I need to play that game when it's done. I'm so excited about it. I have so much like emotional baggage about Rogue Legacy and like I was really excited about that game coming out. And I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I didn't play it in early access. Because um, e- even talking to some people who did, Rogue Legacy 2 wasn't super great in early access. Like, it wasn't really feature complete. And the stuff that was in the game, like, wasn't super compelling as to why they're making a sequel in the first place. And is pretty different compared to what's out now. Like, the thing that you can download on Game Pass and on your Steam Deck right now. Um, and on the Switch. It's also on the Switch. And I'm nervous about playing Hades 2 in early access and not feeling that, like, oh, shit, they got it. You know, uh, and, you know, God bless the people who are going to go out there into the trenches and do that. Uh, but I, I think even just speaking it out loud right now, talking through it with you, uh, the podcast therapy, I think I probably won't. I think I probably won't check it out. Yeah. I, I'll, once I have the option, I'll see, I'll trust my heart. I, I really. I also my flip flop when it's yeah. finally out. When they're like, you can get it on Steam right now. I'm gonna be like, oh shit. I love, I love the new protagonist. Yeah. I love all the new characters we saw. I'm really curious what role Zagreus will play. I, right. I, I had some friends text me about that. I imagine they'll have some restraint. I don't think he's gonna show up right away. Like, hey, I'm back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he is. I think he's 
the new protagonist's brother. Yes. And I think, I imagine he will have a cameo of some kind and we'll all lose our minds. Yeah, I, th- I think the, the lore of it, you know, I mean, it's just classic mythology, but I think this protagonist is uh, uh, yeah, another child of Hades, but who is from Olympus and is traveling downwards into the underworld instead of vice versa. That's a fun perspective. It's a really cool idea. Yeah, and uh, this is dealing with like Kronos, I think, and a lot of the Titans. Yeah, who, who is yeah, who's Hades' dad. Yeah, which I think that's a really... I mean, I think uh, the, the portrayal of Hades in Hades is really complex and interesting. Yeah, totally. Because um, I think he's framed as the antagonist, but he's not a villain. Right. And I think the way that game navigates relationships and like who is at odds and who is like friendly and, and why yeah. is really interesting. And, and like exploring like intimacy and connection yeah. in that game is, is one of the strengths of it. Also, just shout out to all the artists on Tumblr who immediately had gorgeous art of the new characters ready. I cannot like believe. How, yeah, because yeah, like Tumblr, Tumblr is an amazing place. If you haven't like made a Tumblr account, I would recommend like checking it out. I mean, it's yeah. fun. It's fun to see Tumblr get like a second life now. Absolutely. That, that Twitter's falling apart. Um, but uh, Tumblr is so notable for the fact that it doesn't have like a real algorithm. It doesn't have like a for real algorithm the same way like Instagram and Twitter and things like that do where it's like constantly hitting you with bullshit in your feed that you yeah. don't want. Um, it has three feeds and one of them is like you can track hashtags that you're interested in. Yeah. And uh, Hades is one of the ones that I same. that I have saved. And the amount and of stuff. Yeah. yeah. The amount of stuff in that Hades tag already. You're, you're right. Is like shocking yeah so cool i think tell was gonna be like on fire when hades 2 comes out finally releases yeah Yeah. oh my god i'm so excited about it a lot of a lot of other twos happened death stranding 2 that's right which it should be noted is not we don't know it's called death stranding 2 yet it's true it's called ds2 they've been very specific about that and knowing kojima do you think it's gonna be called death stranding 2 i think it might but there's always the possibility he's going to do a little swerve. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, it it is a sequel to Death Stranding. Like we know that for sure. Do you think Animal is going to be in it? Is my question. I'm convinced Animal is going to be in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Animal did say Kojima's name three times in a row. Right. I yeah. think that's all it takes to get into Death Stranding. Yeah. We're talking about Animal from the Muppets, by the way. Yeah. If you didn't watch, if you didn't watch the Game Awards, <laughs> Animal from the Muppets showed up and and uh, presented an award. Um, but uh specifically like turned around and asked to be put in death stranding and everyone like made a goof about it and i think hideo is such a bizarre man i'm sure he'll do that i also want to give jeff Keeley this compliment i think that it is a rare <laughs> gift yes. as a performer yes. or an actor to be like the perfect human counter to muppets yes so far in, in my point of view Tim Curry and Michael Caine are like the peak mm. of like humans that can stand next to Muppets and it's like they're in the same universe. Yeah. Jeff Keighley is also very good at, at talking to Muppets. Yeah. He did a great job with, yeah. with, with Animal. Yeah. I think he, I think if, if you, if you could do a good job with Animal, you can do a good <laughs> job with anybody, you know? Yeah. I wonder why Animal. Why do you th- why do you think Animal was the one that Jeff wanted at the I Game Awards? I think they needed to wake up the crowd a bit. You know, I think at That's that point true. they're like, we just need to like make sure everyone is 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 good. Is awake, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe That's Orson Welles's reason for having the shot of the of the bird and. In Citizen Kane. Really? He was asked about that, and he was like, "To wake up the audience." That's like why he said. <laughs> the more you read and look into Orson Welles, the more you realize that things you thought were like genius were just like he tripped and, and, yeah, and accidentally wrote down an idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah he was a shipposter. He's a yeah, yeah. What, what a strange man. Anyway, yeah. Death Stranding 2. 
Death Stranding, I'm very excited. I think Death Stranding is great. Yeah. I know you had like a religious experience with it. I did, yeah. Uh, yeah, you can watch. Uh, I have I have a playlist on our YouTube that is like, sent most of my playthrough of Death Stranding 2. Um, I streamed it for like- oh, Death four- Stranding 1. Oh yeah, sorry. Death Stranding 1. I, I streamed it for like four days straight until yeah. it was done. I really had like a pretty wild time playing that game and I'm so excited about this sequel. Specifically, Kojima talked about uh like, oh, I had I had a sequel idea already written and I wrote it before the first one had come out and then the pandemic happened and then I needed to throw the whole thing out and start again. Um and I'm really interested to see a death stranding that is like specifically actually informed actually yeah. talking about the pandemic because the first one like accidentally is about it. Feels yeah. weirdly prescient. Yeah, um and and I th- I think leaning into that and like challenging that and and our and our our i don't know just like collective unremarked upon grief about the pandemic i think is like i i'm interested in more nuanced storytelling about that yeah. uh, and about the human experience over the past couple of years yeah i think i think death stranding is is uh it was one of my favorite games the year it came out, and I remember saying, and I and I still agree with this, that I think it's like one of the most interesting directions to take the open world genre. Yeah, but I struggle to recommend it openly because I'm like, I do think I I mentioned this before, but I think it's kind of cilantro, where it's like mm. you either like it or it tastes like soap. Yeah, and I feel like I've had a couple friends message, "Should I get Destiny?" I'm like, I honestly couldn't tell you. Like, I don't know if yeah. like. I think it's I think it's a great game, but I also understand why some people struggle to get into it. Mm-hmm. But like you, I'm really excited to see a sequel because I don't I don't even think like this is a case where I think Death Stranding was a complete enough story that I don't even know if I need one. Yeah. But the fact that Kojima wants to make a new one is enough of an interest for me. Like even if it's a total train wreck. Yeah. I just think it will be a creative enough game and a different enough game. Even the trailer looks remarkably different, you know. And there's enough wild things in there, like visually. Yeah. I'm just curious what's up. I'm wondering if Leah Saido's character is going to be the protagonist, the protagonist yeah. in this case. Um, Sam Porter Bridges sure is in it. And he's got like white hair now. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's really interesting. I'm excited. I'm really excited about it. Um, and yeah. we also so that that leaked a long time ago via a Norman Reedus interview where he just like offhandedly to someone who was interviewing him about a TV role said like, oh, I'm not working on TV right now because I'm working on Death Stranding 2. <laughs> like just offhandedly. And it took like a full like week and a half for Games Press to like realize that he had said that because it was so disconnected in this like really tiny magazine. So like we've kind of known that Death Stranding 2 was going to come for a long time, but I just I didn't think we were going to see it this soon because Kojima has also said that he's working with Xbox on like a cloud gaming specific video game. And I I thought that that would be the next thing that we saw from him. Uh, so I'm, I'm really interested to know that Death Stranding 2 is in the works. Every now and then to my Twitter timeline is all Kojima. Yeah. Which I always like for whatever reason, the algorithm sometimes just like makes it all him. Yeah. And stuff he's retweeted. And I love that. Same love thing with me happens. and Instagram. It's like sometimes I'll open up Instagram and it's like five posts of like him hanging out with some celebrity. <laughs> he has a bunch of pictures like literally today is a bunch of pictures of him with Al Pacino at the Game Awards that Amazing. he posted, which is awesome. I'm I so really glad they got to hang out. I hope Al Pacino is in Death Stranding. Could you too? imagine? Yeah. Oh, my God. Cause he loves to post pictures of actors and celebrities like in his 3D capture thing like yeah. his rig that he set up so he can like get 3d models of real people i would love to see an al pacino appearance 
yeah. in there. Oh my god, that'd be so fun. That'd be that'd be amazing. Were there any other game awards announcements that you that you wanted to shout out? Yeah, uh, Earthblade. I'm really excited about that. Is the new game from Extremely Okay Games, which yeah. are the makers of Celeste and Towerfall. Yeah, we still don't know like a lot about it, but the first trailer we got was I think they called a vibe reveal, yeah, it was just a vibe. Yeah, and this one showed more gameplay. It looks a lot like kind of a Terraria or a Starbound. Yeah, right. Like art artistically. Yeah. yeah, which which is cool and. I'm not still quite sure what it is, but I will get it. Like I, I, I trust that team implicitly. Yeah, me too. I almost yeah. didn't even need this, honestly. Yeah, right. It was weirdly how I felt about it because I was so excited when I knew that it was Earthblade that we were seeing. Yeah. And then by the time it was done, I was like, I actually really haven't feel like I've learned. I don't feel like I've learned anything. I don't know if I needed this trailer. I'm still just as excited as I was, which is very excited. Yeah. Um. But but I don't feel like I, I took away anything new or gleaned any new information about it. I feel like maybe it's a Metroidvania, but that also might be wrong. You know. Like yeah. I, 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 I have no I have no new information <laughs> uh, about Earthblade, but I'm but still excited. I'm about excited it. that's that's coming out in some way. Yeah. I'll shout out Armored Core Six. Oh yeah, of course. Which uh, coming from FromSoft, I think it's been over ten years since the last Armored Core, which is a franchise that I've never really connected with but they specifically have said that the new armored core is like we're coming at this with the lessons that we've learned from making the souls games for the past decade yeah um and that idea like okay so you get the armored core the the gameplay loop of armored core is like you spend 45 minutes like tinkering in a garage with your mech and figuring out all the like different kind of mechanics here and there that are going to optimize the performance of like the jets in your left boot, you know, and then testing it out for like another 45 minutes. And then you go try the mission and like maybe you pass or fail based on your your performance improvements and your optimizations and stuff. But it is like a mission based game. It's not like an open world game. Yeah. Not even like a Souls game. That's like kind of Metroidvania. It's like you are going in and 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 uh trying to accomplish one specific thing, which I think is is a cool idea to see FromSoft tackle now, you know, to see them kind of like go back in time, I think, in terms of... Yeah, I think following Elden Ring with something entirely different right? is the best move. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested in Armored Core. Um, there are, I think something like 15 or 16 games in that franchise uh oh, i don't wow. I, I don't know if i'm gonna go back in time and like try out the other ones yeah i could see myself getting wrapped up in the hype cycle for the new one and like going and checking out some of the earlier stuff but for the most part i think i'm just kind of excited about whatever this is going to be and seeing this era of FromSoft take on that franchise seems really cool absolutely i, I feel the same way yeah about it just <laughs> Mechs are fucking cool, man. <laughs> Mechs are cool. Dude, Astral Chain? <laughs> that game was sick. Yeah. Was um, what else? Cyberpunk has DLC. Idris Elba's in it. Um, that's right. That's fine. I am like, I'll I, probably I think play that. we're in an era now where Cyberpunk is weirdly getting like a second chance for a lot of people. Yeah. And I am curious to play it one day. I was talking with one of my coworkers about this. Eric, shout out if you're listening, because he, he just got a PS5. He's like, is entering the new generation and picked up like a couple of games and, yeah. and one of them was god of war and god of war ragnarok and then another one was cyberpunk um and was playing cyberpunk and we had this conversation that was essentially a thing that you and i have said i don't know know if we've talked about it on the show but we're in this weird era where bugs are no longer like a funny thing that we think are like quaint and cool like as as like people who play video games and i think you and i are definitely outliers in this because like we love oblivion so much and like, oh, we yeah. love that kind of stuff Absolutely. and even the stuff in like pokemon scarlet and violet that are like 
silly bugs are still silly and i like them a lot like where i where i brush up against pokemon scarlet and violet is like frame rate issues when i'm trying to traverse the open world or explore the open world and the game is like having a hard time letting me do that you know the bugs in oblivion and skyrim where like the dragon is like folding in on itself in skyrim like those kinds of things aren't impacting what i want to be doing in skyrim or the guy running in place on top of a horse and they're both moving right and he's like evening citizen yeah Yeah. like that's that's not detracting from my enjoyment it's adding it's adding i agree it's additive and the weird thing about cyberpunk is like that game came out and just got like lambasted for the bugs and also simultaneously like spawned a bunch of like tumblr and twitter accounts and and instagram accounts and tiktok accounts that are like here are the funniest bugs that we found in this game while simultaneously like i feel like the the general gaming community was like fuck cd project red we're gonna sue them into the ground for releasing this like broken video game yeah i found that stuff so funny and when i played cyberpunk it had my like kind of brief foray with that game i loved the bugs so much in the same way that i did with with a with a uh, bethesda game like i loved that stuff so much and I don't I don't know when that happened. Like I don't know when that switch flipped, I think, for like the general gaming community where like we, we went from like, oh, here's another Bethesda game, it's gonna be riddled with bugs to like, here's another Bethesda game, it's gonna be riddled with bugs, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think like I think honestly sometimes people get riled up about a game before it even comes out. Yeah. Just cause that's definitely true. And yeah. you know, I think expectation c- management. Cyberpunk was also like one of the most like hyped like yeah the the campaign for that game was unmatched yeah i just Um, am curious to see when starfield comes out and is like also riddled with bugs you and i are gonna be like wasn't it so funny when the spaceship clipped into the moon and and other people are gonna be like it was so fucked up when this happened yeah it it is is interesting i think for me specifically with cyberpunk is like that's not the thing to be upset about when it comes to cyberpunk like it's the crunch it's the like you know uh dunking on the transgender community like it's there there's so many things to be angry at cyberpunk about yeah even like honestly the tim rogers action button review is like a great kind of encap there's one piece of that review that's just like an encapsulation of like here's how they even got the idea of cyberpunk wrong in this game like right. there's so many things to point out with that game yeah the last thing that i'm going to point out with that game is like bugs. for some reason all of the cops in the cop car are facing the wrong way you know they're all facing backwards while the car is driving <laughs> forwards like that's awesome that's the best shit in video <laughs> games that's the stuff that gets me excited to get up in the morning yeah, yeah. I, I, I just think like yeah there, i mean there's there's and that's kind of why I didn't pick it up. Like I didn't even you and I were outliers that we didn't really even care about that game. Yeah. For a long time. Yeah. It so... took me a couple of months to to want to get it. I think I got it for five dollars was the thing. Yeah. It was like five I think it was it was on sale for five dollars with the promise that the next gen patch and update would be free. Yeah. I, I'm curious about like the, the stuff in there that people do like. like I'm curious just to see that yeah. for myself. Because I've heard like there's honestly a great story within all of that. Yeah, I, I would say and I, I've said this in the Discord to other people who who are playing because i feel like slowly but surely more and more people are starting to check it out yeah i think the first five to six hours of that game are like brilliant narratively like i i love what they're doing for the first couple hours i mean it's just we were talking about this off the show literally like right before we started recording but like i'm a sucker for heists and the beginning of that game just being like a big fucking cyberpunk heist incredible yeah i loved that and then as soon as that was over i was like oh, i don't know if i want to keep playing this which is very silly but uh yeah yeah i think we're also like you and i are not 
as like i don't think you liked this game i i liked it but not quite as much but, like we're not as into witcher 3 either really yeah you you said to me i think a couple days ago you were like i think there's like gonna be a brendan bigley witcher 3 turnaround i think Ger- i said Geralt joining fortnite is gonna be which was also an announcement <laughs> Geralt joining yes. fortnite will be your reappraisal of witcher 3 yeah i think witcher 3 is is a great game i, yeah. I got to a little bit later i i didn't have the same like best game of all time experience yeah but i think it's an incredible rpg and i'd love to talk about it with you so if you ever do get back to it let me know i just uh i got it on the the steam autumn sale for my steam deck even if it's just us talking about gwent for a hot minute yeah i think it'll be fun but my my recommendation for witcher 3 is like this might be a hot take but they just stick to the main story like Mm. put it on story and play the main campaign yeah do whatever side quest like really interests you but i think like i i know i have to do the bloody baron one that's the only one i know Well, that's about. the main quest oh You'll, is it yeah that's part of the main story oh, okay cool. for what i know well then but sometimes it's hard to tell yeah unless it's like especially like oh that was a side quest yeah <laughs> but um i i remember <laughs> i played that game before we did the show and i remember like at a certain point getting burnt out like i didn't love the combat yeah there was a difficulty spike that i didn't really find interesting so i put it on story and i saw it through and i I really did like that was a game where i was happy i finished it Mm. and i think you'll have a similar experience because i think that there Geralt is not like i i love him in three yeah i love i love his vibe he's mike from breaking bad and fantasy yeah uh, and hot but i think the the ensemble that surrounds him are great and i Mm. think like those relationships are interesting and worth seeing through yeah I, I do I do really want to check that game out yeah. again. Um, I want to give it another shot. I, but Geralt's in Fortnite. Yeah, Geralt's in Fortnite now. Man, I have so much <laughs> to say about Fortnite that I'm not going to say. I, I've, <laughs> I've been on and off. I haven't written a, a blog post for my for my website, wavelengths.online, in a, in a hot minute because uh, I've been so busy with some other stuff. But uh, I've been on and off writing a piece about Fortnite for like two weeks uh, that I, I might just end up doing on the show one day instead. Yeah. Um, Cause I have so many ideas about it, but the wildest thing about Fortnite, one of the big reveals was like, okay, new season, but also under the hood, they replaced or like kind of rebuilt the game in unreal engine five. And that added like real time, new lighting, uh, ray tracing, a bunch of like incredible improvements, like fidelity wise across the board. And this is not just like on PC with like the biggest, best graphics card you can get, but is like also on PS five and the series S even like has a new, beautiful ray traced version of Fortnite that you can go download and play and is like the only game that is running at 60 frames per second with ray tracing in unreal engine five, obviously because Epic games is like the company that makes unreal engine and Fortnite. So like, it's a proof of concept and the product simultaneously, which is such a weird kind of Venn diagram. But Fortnite right now, weirdly the best look at the future of gaming technology while also being, you know, this hugely successful live service game. I honestly don't think you should feel insecure about bringing Fortnite to the show. Because... No, I don't. <laughs> well, I know now you're... I do. Yeah. <laughs> Self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Steven's I, over here like, uh, my you should bring Fortnite to the show and don't feel bad about it t-shirt is raising a lot of questions raised we by my shirt. talked about this. Uh, Polygon recently shared their uh, top 50 or top yeah. 30. No, it's 50. Yeah. 50. Top 50 uh, best games of 2022 is a really cool list. And uh, one of the games there was the recent season of League of Legends. Yeah. And I think their their rubric was interesting. And it kind of gives better language to like what we have come to or like if you can make a case for a game that came out and it yeah. was like games that have come out or like gained some significant like you know if they've re-entered the pop culture zeitgeist exactly yeah 
And I think Loki, uh, League of Legends, the most recent season, and Fortnite were both on there. Yeah. And I think it's really easy to write both of those games off. But I think like in a show that's about celebrating games and, and talking about them, like it is kind of miraculous to look at those games and be like, there are so many gigantic companies, mm-hmm. like Amazon level companies that are trying to make something that achieves what those games are doing. Yes. And it's kind of amazing to like look at them and be like, what is it about these games? Even if you or I don't engage with them personally, I do play Wild Rift. If we don't like them or engage, like regardless of what we think on a subjective level, like what is going on there yeah. that is making these games achieve the impossible, basically? Right. And yeah. I think that's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, yeah. League of Legends is a great example because how long has that game been around? It's been 10 years. I think years since at this 2009, point? Yeah. at least. It's been a long time. Yeah. yeah. That game has been around for a really long time. Early live service game that like continues to crush it. Same thing with Fortnite. That game's been around for five years now and is like only getting bigger, which is wild. And it's like looking at stuff like Overwatch 2, it's like it's like right. the, the fumbles are so visible elsewhere. Yeah. But like just think about how many, you know, Overwatch 2 is a great example, but how many live service games have like popped up and and dissolved right. in even just the five years that Fortnite has been around, much less the 10 plus years that League of Legends has been around. Exactly. So many games, like even even down to like trying to copy the battle pass and failing, you know, and like totally getting that wrong. It's like, oh, you launched a battle pass that has a bunch of things that are like literally actually pay to win things where it's like Fortnite's just cruising along with its cosmetics only battle pass and raking in more money than anyone knows what to do with over at Epic. Yeah, and it's not as if these two games are beyond critique but it's just yeah, like of course of course it's interesting to look at what's going on there if anything and, there's more to critique yeah <laughs> uh, i do think that like fortnite is especially interesting because what it began as and what it is now are like kind of different mediums yeah, almost right yeah so all i'm saying is bring it up whenever you want my friend yeah i probably will yeah generally it's my summer game uh but you know if uh even if, if all i can do there. is nod and say that's nice <laughs> i will i will do that for you yeah I, I do think it's one of those games that's important to bring up every once in a while though especially as it continues to be dominant yeah you know right um is there anything else from the game wars you want to talk about i think that's it i mean i was very happy Elden ring one yeah game of the year I'm looking through a list of stuff. Oh, we, we got a Street Fighter 6 release date. That's oh, fun. when is that? June 2nd. That's exciting. Yeah, we knew it was I love be a summer. good summer fighting game. I'm glad it's early in the summer. Yeah, yeah. I feel like Splatoon 3 should have been earlier. Not that it's a fighting game, but it's, I have some games that I consider summer games. I agree with you. And Splatoon and fighting games are all summer. Yeah. I think a big reason Splatoon is lower on my goatee list than it should be is because it didn't come out in the summer <laughs> which I, is is a weird thing to say but i really feel that i'm so excited for the new street fighter and all yeah. tekken 8 as well so tekken 8 yeah which it was I, really interesting to see those two games in the same block of content yeah because tekken very much just like is another tekken and street fighter seems like they're really reconsidering what street fighter is i feel like well, i mean tekken has been like the undisputed champ of fighting games for so long you think you so? Know? Is that true? I I, don't, I actually in don't know. In the fighting game, from what I know, and I could be wrong, but in the fighting game community, Tekken has been like pretty consistently popular. Mm. And Street Fighter, I think, had a pretty big fall from Grace with five. I'm about, I'm about to say a thing that really I, I think encapsulates my entire like shift over the course of us doing the show for so many years. But Tekken is Dragon Quest, and Street Fighter is Final Fantasy. <laughs> right? Am I right? If only because Street Fighter gives sequels to numbers. Yes. <laughs> Street Fighter will definitely have a game called Street Fighter 2 3. <laughs> and yeah, Tekken yeah, yeah, yeah. will not. Um, but I mean, te- it's interesting. Yeah, te- Tekken 7, I just missed. Mm. But Tekken 7 was pretty big. And uh, I imagine Tekken 8 will be great. And 
I want to get in on it. I want to get back into just because Tekken. I don't know if I've shared this, but Tekken was actually my entry point into fighting games. Oh, really? Tekken three specifically. Um, that was like early PlayStation days. Mm. I played that game a lot with my dad. We did eight versus eight team battle, all random. Wow, amazing! He hated Gon, the little dragon that you couldn't hit. Yeah. Tekken 3, awesome game still. And then I got Tekken 2 as well, which is also great. Yeah. Um, Tekken 2 I played a lot of. Tekken Tag was also one of the first PS2 games. Fantastic. Mm. And I fell off around Tekken 4 or 5. I liked it, but I think that was when Street Fighter was at its peak. Street Fighter like 3 and 4 had been out. Yeah. I might be getting the dates slightly wrong, but when I I got them, that's Mm -hmm. when I was getting them. Right. And, uh... Yeah, I, I do kind of still hope there's like, I don't expect it, but I do think Soul Calibur 6 was like a, a pivot in the right direction for that mm. series because I'm pretty sure that series was toast if that game didn't sell well. <laughs> and it did. Yeah. And it, and it's fun. Like, I brought it to the show a long time, like very early on, like yeah. 2018. And the character creator is is hilarious. So funny. Yeah. Um, but I, I love feel Soul Calibur like so much. It is like the disparity between like, I feel like Namco... Like Tekken is their like beloved fighting game series. I don't know if Soul Calibur has like any priority to them, mm. but I would like to see a world where both of them exist. I do wonder though if Soul Calibur was more of a time and place because I feel like Soul Calibur Two was specifically that like yeah. I mean we're talking about the Dreamcast this this season, and I feel like Soul Calibur One One still a sick game. That game rules mm-hmm. and is so tethered to the Dreamcast era. Yeah, that I wonder if like making a new one is like if you like actually like defrosted Walt Disney and woke him up now. It's like, why are we doing this? Yeah, I do feel like Soul Calibur 2 specifically was such a huge moment that they've been trying to recapture ever since. Yeah. I don't know if that'll ever happen again. You can't put Yoda in, in Soul Calibur. But I do feel that moment happening with Street Fighter right now. Street Fighter, I, I mean, Capcom has done such a great job because they, like, at the same time that, you know, Street Fighter 5 came out, half the roster was unavailable. It wasn't finished. Yeah. I did play a bit of Street Fighter 5 because it was on sale for like $5 one day. Mm-hmm. And what I've heard from people who played a lot of it is like, it is a good game. Yeah. But it had such a bad launch because like right. it was unfinished and Capcom had just released a bunch of fighting games that like had day one DLC for characters that were on the disc. Mm-hmm. So there was a really like, there was a lot of bad faith with Capcom and right. what they were releasing. It was also around the same time as like, you know, resident evil six. And yeah. like, I feel like a lot of their series were like in serious uncertain waters. And then they totally turned things around with resident evil like 7. company wide. Yeah. Uh, monster hunter and monster hunter has always been good, but monster hunter world was like a big, that was a, big, that was a huge thing for yeah. the series. And then I think like all of their series have really become incredible. And I feel like street fighter is getting the same treatment. It does feel that one. way. Yeah. So, um, very excited. There was a lot of good stuff at the game awards. <laughs> oh, one, one, one shout out that I'll give that I'm just curious about was, uh, Saw the first glimpse after, like, I think over 10 years, again, of Ken Levine's new game. Ken Levine, the creator of Bioshock, showed a trailer for the the new project by his new company, which I forget the name of, called Judas, that looked so much like Bioshock again. And I was like, you 
this can't be it for me. Like I, yeah, yeah. I loved, I loved Bioshock one and two. I loved infinite when it came out. And then, you know, obviously like pretty quickly, I feel like everyone kind of turned a corner on that game and yeah, like, examined it and we're like, Oh shit. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't hold up as well. Uh, one and two, I still feel pretty strongly about. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it has been so long and like so many years of interviews with Ken Levine about what he's been working on. And he's like, we're, we're changing everything about the way you make games and the way you play them and like narratives that are going to evolve based on, decisions you didn't even know you were making like there have been so many kind of hyperbolic statements about that game and to see our first ever footage of it and just have it be like a tone piece that looks a lot like Bioshock again full avatar yeah it, it yeah. does feel a little bit like avatar yeah I, it was a little bit of a disappointment for me I I want to know what that game is uh because that trailer was not it folks yeah um not to end this whole segment on a bummer but uh i i'm interested in what ken levine is working on what he thinks he's working on you know <laughs> yeah those might not add up yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really curious um but uh yeah hades, hades 2 exists hades 2 and we're gonna play it did they give any eta on that or is it just sort of entering early access? entering early access sometime in 2023 question mark when it's coming out i i don't remember how long hades 1 was in early access but I imagine it will probably be at like earliest 2024. Yeah. So I think you're probably right. We got a while. Take your time. Yeah. Because that game is going to destroy and rebuild us. Yeah. Oh, man. That's so exciting that we're going to play that Very game. Very exciting. The idea that next year we could play Hades 2 in early access and Starfield is really <laughs> wild. And Breath of the Wild 2. And Final Fantasy 7 Remake 2. Yeah, what the fuck? Yeah, your Final Fantasy is Street Fighter. Final Fantasy Seven <laughs> Remake Part Two is based on like Street Fighter Three Alpha Six <laughs> or whatever. Let's. You're right. We should take a break and then. Uh, <laughs> you said it. And then come back and talk about Chained Echoes. Chained Echoes. See you soon. Bye bye. Bye bye. Hey, welcome back. Hi. Steve, Steve and I just took a break. We were talking about how I took over his uh, his column in the high school newspaper <laughs> after after he graduated. He he wrote a comedy column. Yeah, I did. What was it called? Do you, do you remember, remember what it was called? I, I had my own column and I did the back page as well. That, and the back page was like sort of proto like BuzzFeed. Yeah. Listicle comedy. I occasionally helped out with the back page, but yeah. I, 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 I took over your, your comedy column. There was a picture of me on it with like my arms crossed really yeah yeah there was a picture of me on it too mine 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 was called brendan bigley saves your life and it was like ostensibly an advice column it was like uh my brother my brother and me like (laughs) before mine was like wannabe david sedaris kind of short stories yeah that's cool it was it was pretty cool cool thing there were a couple good ones that that was like uh when i applied to colleges i would include a couple of them yeah i also friends parents like oh it was so funny steven (laughs) yeah yeah. i feel like we had we had similar vibes yeah uh in in that regard that was that was very funny it was honestly very cool opportunity to do at that age you know yeah totally it's funny i i I feel like writing has always been like a thing that i've always wanted to like get more into um and that was that was really like the aha moment for me i think was like a when i would procrastinate doing any kind of report in school for like weeks and weeks and weeks until it was finally due and then like write the whole thing in one sitting and be like wow what a beautiful creative expression this was to just like sit down and like you know completely make up 10 pages of a paper immediately but i i really liked that like really frenetic writing process um and I've it was, i remember that was the first time maybe the only time yeah i feel come up to be like oh you're stephen hilger as if i was like famous <laughs> i think i would say yes yeah, so and walk away <laughs> 
Well, that was my teenage energy. Yeah, don't you wish we could skateboard in the hallways? I yeah. If I yes, could skateboard so? to class, yeah, <laughs> blasting at the drive-in and my shitty <laughs> wired headphones. Yeah, yeah. Your your duct taped iPod. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so were you a fan or something? You don't get my art, friends, mom. We also ordered a pizza. These are all the things that have happened. Yeah, we ordered a pizza in our break, which the pizza led to the past That's in true. our conversation. That is true. But speaking of the past. <laughs> And wrapping it up in a nice pizza. We've played a game that came out recently that is very much an homage to Chrono Trigger specifically, but also like RPGs of that era. It's a great way to wrap up the year, right? Because we started the year with our Chrono Trigger bonus. I feel like I kind of set out after that and during that experience also, like over the month of January, but even the couple months afterwards of playing a lot of games that said or claimed to be inspired by Chrono Trigger and trying to recapture that Chrono Trigger magic. And uh, I'll be honest, almost none of them (laughs) succeeded. I think we we mentioned like saying you want to make a game like Chrono Trigger is saying like, I want to make this taste like ice cream. It's like, you know, it's like, or something it's like, yeah, everyone does. It's a yeah, given. You want right. it to be good. You want it to be good. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's an exceedingly difficult thing to do because I think it's also, I think it's exceedingly difficult to boil down why Chrono Trigger was a success. You know, yeah. a lot, a lot of it definitely, I, I, I think it's, it's worth being upfront about is like due to the time and place that it came out and the yes. people that made it right. is like that hype cycle. But Absolutely. the fact that you can pick that game up and play it like right now, like I did earlier this year with really none of that hype outside of like, oh, I just recently got into Dragon Quest. It was still great. I mean, it's still it's a also great a game. really great mo- uh, speaking moment in time, which weirdly coincides with the game's themes. Yeah. Like you hear about the dream team a lot like Sakaguchi. Yeah. Uh, and, and Toriyama and all these people that have like proven themselves in that field. And that was like almost their magnum opus yeah, coinciding with like new talent that would then later take right. the same mantle. Yeah. So it really was this exact moment in time where like the veteran team was almost passing the baton to people like Mitsuda yeah. and, and other writers and developers who later like led projects of their own. Yeah. And even, but even removed from that, like you just go play that game and on its own merits, it's brilliant yeah. and still is brilliant. Yeah. And I remember, I think I said on that bonus and if not, then I'll, I'll just say it definitively here. But like that game made me angry about other RPGs that have come since then, not taking the right lessons from it. Yeah. You know, similar to what we always talk about with games, like taking inspiration from other games. There are a lot of ideas from Chrono Trigger that I feel like people thought were the, were the takeaway that absolutely were not. Yeah. Yeah. I think one lesson Chrono Trigger should teach more people is like the game can be 20 hours long and feel like a huge adventure. Yeah. So much of that game is about what you can remove from what we think are staples of JRPG mechanically. And the reason that they did that, and and I I think a a lot of it, it, this is, you know, like our word and was literally the name of last week's episode, but so much of it is about intention, right? And the intention of Chrono Trigger to me feels like, remove as much as you can because we're trying to tell a good story here yeah you know like we're, we're it's kind of like the design by subtraction idea absolutely of Eco and shadow of the colossus not quite as minimalist but a similar yeah yeah i mean the amount of stats that you need to be managing in that game uh some of the some of the concepts in terms of like how combat works and even the atb meter like working in that game versus not working in other final fantasy games and stuff like there are so many things about that game that are so successful and a lot of it for me comes down to 
like the simplification of the genre because it wants to get out of its own way and wants you to get invested in the characters and the story. And that was one of the most interesting things to me about Tokyo RPG Factory, which was like the much maligned and now I think non-existent, unfortunately, like quietly disbanded subdivision of Square Enix that just got to make a bunch of games that they also said, like, we grew up playing Chrono Trigger and loved it. So we're now going to make games inspired by Chrono Trigger. Yeah. They made three games before I think no longer existing. I mean, we don't know for sure, but they made I Am Setsuna, Lost Sphere, and Oninaki. And you and I played a bunch of I Am Setsuna for the show. I played a lot of Lost Sphere. You played a little bit of it, but I, yeah. I, I played like most of it. I, I never finished it, but I played most of it. Um, it was like a game that I was chipping away at for most of the year. And Oninaki, which I actually did play and never brought to the show, it is the least inspired by Chrono Trigger of all of them. Like it was clear, I think, that the first two games like getting panned and not selling well made them rethink their strategy and like make a totally different thing that I, I don't think works very well, um, if I'm being totally honest. I, I did like I Am Setsuna. I think that's, that is a really great game. That's honestly. the closest they get to achieving yeah. what they're going for. For. Lost Sphere, though, pulls like all the wrong lessons from Chrono Trigger. Unfortunately, the only thing that improves on Chrono Trigger for is uh, is the combat. Uh, they they have some really smart additions to the combat. But anyway, the reason that we're talking about all of this is there's a new game that just came out that's called Chained Echoes that uh, also ostensibly is inspired by Chrono Trigger and. I went into it being really nervous about that, especially hot off the heels of all my experiences with games like Setsuna and Lost Sphere, which like get close, but no cigar kind of situation, yeah. you know, like th th they have some nice ideas, but they're too beholden to to some concepts of Chrono Trigger without like really experimenting or acknowledging that the medium has moved forward and changed since then. I will say soundtrack for I'm Setsuna remarkable it's amazing yeah yeah, yeah. like all-timer yeah. definitely yeah. yeah honestly the soundtracks for all three games are really killer like that was like maybe their best thing yeah sorry the reason i brought up tokyo rpg factory in the first place is their interesting idea i think conceptually that they didn't end up executing is what if we just took the like 20 to 30 hour story of chrono trigger like took that idea like what if it was just 20 or 30 hours didn't really change any of the mechanics at all and just told a different story with that framework yeah that's a that's an interesting idea yeah saying like chrono trigger built us a skeleton that we can just graft new stories onto is not a bad concept i, I think we're seeing uh yokotaro doing that right now with the the voice of cards stuff yeah where like yokotaro just made like and that team just made like a really great framework upon which you can just tell a bunch of different stories and like change a couple of mechanics here and there every time to like spice things up and honestly each one of those has been better than the last and i kind of wish the same was true of tokyo rpg factory and totally wasn't because the big thing that that game got wrong about chrono trigger or like the the big thing that all of those games i think fail on that chrono trigger got so right is that designed by subtraction so many of those games and so many games in this genre overcomplicate their mechanics to the point of being like essentially just like management like i feel like i'm yeah. i'm managing mechanics instead of engaging with them and, and the stories too i mean i think yeah we talk about this a lot but i feel like a lot of jrpgs whether or not they cite chrono trigger as their influence like they end with suddenly high stakes yeah and that can work but often it comes off as like an attempt to make it seem bigger than it is right yeah whereas there's a lot of power in keeping the stakes small and chrono trigger i think earns the high stakes because it's a it's a abstract threat that basically is like the MacGuffin to guiding you through history yes and like yeah having a philosophical stance on life <laughs> yeah <laughs> which yeah. is hard to pull off totally yeah. yeah there there's a there's a moment that i don't want to spoil but there's a moment like two-thirds of the way into that game where you go to a new location that is like one of the more mind-blowing moments oh, of that yeah. game yeah. um 
that I think is why it earns being a huge bombastic ending is because of what happens narratively in that section of totally. the game. Totally. Um, they really they really pull it off, and it's it's really successful. And and hearing that Chained Echoes is like this new RPG that's inspired by Chrono Trigger for me became like almost an exercise in masochism was like, I guess I'll check this out <laughs> because that's what I've been doing all year is just like checking out other games that say that they're inspired by Chrono Trigger. And, uh, it's, it's so good. This got like a lot of sudden out of nowhere hype. Yeah. Um, I think it's a very small team. It's, it's, I think one person who works on it as far as we know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's mostly, mostly, uh, credited as being one person. It seems like there's also a composer that worked on this game, but as far as we know, it's like one person that made most of the game. And, yeah. And I, I said that I made a video about this for our YouTube channel, but like I said this in that channel, I feel like I feel like a lot of a lot of games get that kind of buzz. It's like, oh, yeah, one dude made this game. It's like that's usually not the case. Like usually yeah. there's like a team of like contractors working around the clock who are, on stuff that are, who are yeah. like uncredited when it comes to, you know, the like press buzz about a thing. Sure. But then are in the credits of the game or sometimes not. And and I don't I don't know if that's true about this game, but it is still impressive that there is a very small team making yes. this game of this scale because I, I didn't honestly I didn't even realize how big this game was until I started uh, unlocking fast travel points in the open world. And when you when you go into the fast travel menu and you see how little of the world you've seen at that point, when do you unlock fast travel? Shocking how much bigger this you've seen like, yeah, a a 15th of the scale of what the world is uh, that this game has on offer. I saw this game pop up in the discord and then a few people tagged me about it. Yeah. Too, and then I yeah. just saw like discourse online about it, and I was like, I kind of like you. I was like, ah, okay. Like I know this is like definitely up my alley on paper. Yeah, there were like, like four reviews on the internet, and all of them were like ten out of ten. Yeah, like this is a yeah. ma- this is a modern masterpiece. Like really bizarre. So I started it on my new Xbox Cloud Gaming app <laughs> on my Steam Deck. Yeah, which only kind of works. And I've only played the beginning of this game. So yeah. essentially, there's a sequence that plays out that I won't spoil that ends with the title card. It's probably like maybe a half hour tops, maybe even less. Yeah. And I'm right after the title card. And I, and I kind of want to, cause I'm like, okay, this game came out a little bit too late to be considered for this year's goatee. I will say maybe we can kind of for next year or something. We'll talk about it more as, as we get further in. I imagine I am over five hours in, which is getting me to the point where I might consider it. Like <laughs> yeah. if, if I can put another four, five hours in before we record next week it might count for me yeah yeah i mean that's i'm totally fine with that for me i I had enough issues with the cloud gaming uh experience that i'm like i don't know if i'll have the best time right playing this that way um it is on game pass and that's where i'm playing it and the beginning at the very least the the sequence that plays up until the title card is so good (laughs) yeah and it exhibits a very strong understanding of not only chrono trigger but like this game is basically like the opening of chainsaw man the new anime is is a bunch of iconic scenes from film like Mm -hmm. in a row and it feels like this opening is that for jrpgs like yeah you know and, and but at the same time also kind of deconstructing them like one of the first thing that happens is you wake up in the like chrono trigger bedroom your yeah. mom is waking you up and then it's clear it's a dream and your mom is like get the hell up and slaps you yeah and it like cuts to a new scene this whole sequence sets the tone so well mm-hmm. and it is is immediately emblematic and atypical of all the influences yeah right 
Yeah, there. You you said to me that this is um kind of like a a miasma of every JRPG uh, simultaneously. Like there's there's a lot of Chrono Trigger, obviously, but it really even though that's the thing that it's being billed as being inspired by, like the the influences are so vast. I mean, there's yeah. like Final Fantasy VI in here in terms of the fact that like you're in these big mechs that are yeah. very very much like the magic. There's tech four armor. too, because like you're fighting for this empire for seemingly uh yes indiscernible reasons and maybe not doing a good thing right yeah that ends in like a really tragic horrifying way yeah um but even you know now where i'm at in the game and and knowing more about the world and and the lore and things that are happening in the game it's even reminding me of final fantasy 15 a lot which is a game that i'm (laughs) also playing right now but the the um the main crux of the like political intrigue of final fantasy 15 is also very present here where there are these three different regions that have been at war for so long that they don't even know what it's like to not have war uh and 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 you're you're starting this game in a moment of peacetime and everyone is like this is tenuous and it has to fall apart because the the war has been going on for so many generations at this point that the leaders who are alive right now have only lived during the war and they don't know what peace is like or how to rule during peacetime so they're just going to thrust everyone back into war just because it's the only thing they know like stuff like that is it's also very uh, six because of the mechs but also because like it clearly is an ensemble story like, yeah it, it already has pivoted like who you're playing as multiple times right yeah it's, and there's it's, a spotlight that introduces them yeah which i love yeah it feels like early 2000s when like every movie was trying to be snatch you know <laughs> or sorry crash um, uh, yeah. You know, where it's like, okay, how do all these stories line up and like meld together? Yeah, there, there's there's about a billion and a half influences happening here. And you said something, I think, on the Chrono Trigger episode that really stuck with me, which is something akin to like homage is best when it's in reference to multiple things instead of one thing. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that was kind of the biggest thing about the Tokyo RPG Factory stuff was that it was like really just inspired by Chrono Trigger. Right. Lost Sphere gets a little bit into Final Fantasy VI, but not in ways that are like interesting. It's, it's just, just like a character oh. named Locke. Yeah, I was just about to say, it's like, oh, this character is also named Locke and also there's armor in it that's like kind of like Magitek armor. Yeah. Um, but this game starting with you being like, okay, you're playing as Glenn, who is like a hotshot Sky Armor pilot and you immediately get shot down like like as soon as you're done with the combat tutorial it's like okay just kidding now you're on foot and you have a little sword good luck really fun really interesting but um after that after that title sequence when you get into like okay you're introduced to more characters you're introduced to more mechanics you're you're now like kind of going through this big inciting event and then they let you out into like the more open world kind of like you know traversing the overworld they get away from the thing that i have talked many times about not really enjoying which is like kind of the final fantasy 7 or like uh earlier dragon quest games where you're like out really in the kind of the overworld traveling between cities and like random encounter battles can happen in between there this is more like chrono trigger honestly it's more like chrono trigger where you can like see the enemies out in the overworld and you can like run into them and engage with them and immediately launches you into combat there's no atb meter which is a plus in my book even though i think chrono trigger is like the one game that got it right yeah it's still not a preferable way to experience like turn-based combat totally um i I think chrono trigger like does a good job with it but it's not like it's still not my favorite way this game introduces a couple new combat mechanics that i think are like 
brilliant. So first of all, they have the turn order, which is your and my favorite thing in the world. Yeah. It, it should be a given at this point to show turn order. Totally. Yeah. But they have this new idea that's called the overdrive bar, which I think is fascinating. Yeah. And it's this bar that has this like, it. it uh, let's just say it goes from zero to 100. And uh, from like zero to about 50 is like this kind of orange area where everything is just kind of neutral. You do the same amount of damage and you take the same amount of damage when you get hit. But every attack that you do moves your way up that overdrive bar and from about like 51 to i'd say like 70 is this green area and if you're in that green area that's called going overdrive and all of your attacks do more damage and you take less damage when you get hit so you're like really like locked into this like beautiful zone when you're in the overdrive and then that top bit is this red area that's essentially called over i think it's called overheated yeah um which means that you're doing less damage and taking more damage if you get hit so all of the attacks that you can do in the game either increase or decrease your place in that overdrive bar so like continuing to do these like big uh like magic moves or skill moves or like you know area of effect attacks and things like that will increase your overdrive so if you continue doing them over and over again you're essentially putting yourself at risk if you're not managing where you're at in the overdrive bar things like defending for example lower that which allows you to keep yourself in that green zone or if you have multiple uh party members you can like swap party members out while you're in combat and swapping out a party member will also decrease your overdrive so you're constantly managing this stuff which i think is really fun like i i love that little added twist to managing this kind of stuff in the game and like keeping track of like actually now not only is it a good time to defend because i know that the, this like boss i'm fighting is you know gearing up to do something wild but also it's going to lower my overdrive and keep me in that green zone, which I think is really nice. The other thing that I think is fucking brilliant, uh, and there are a couple of games that have done this here and there, and I, I, it's like my favorite thing in the world, is you heal and refill all your mana in between every fight. So you can just like go all out. Like if you're out in the overworld and you're fighting like a random bunch of enemies that like, you know, are going to go down pretty quickly. You can just use like your wildest attacks one <laughs> after the other, after the other, after the other. Like I'm going to do every area effect attack. I'm going to do every like poison damage attack. I'm just going to like destroy this enemy and get this battle over with really quickly. And the game kind of like rewards you and incentivizes doing that by like just saying, you know, yeah, you're going to max out your overdrive meter. And that doesn't even matter because this fight is going to go by so quickly and you're going to regain all that stuff back. So like even if somebody like gets knocked out and dies, they just get revived immediately and have full health after that fight the overdrive system i also really love and it reminds me of that great dungeon crawler from this year uh potato flowers in full bloom yeah where like there is a stamina meter for turn-based combat where like you have to consider like okay i can do all this this turn but what is next turn gonna look like right right this adds another layer to turn-based combat which i think there's been so many great games that use turn-based combat in the last five years yeah with like a modern understanding of like how to really refine it and this is a really great direction to move it into, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's a really nice balance that this game strikes between introducing new ideas to add complexity to turn-based combat, but also smoothing off some of the edges. So like having the turn order is obviously a big one, but also any enemy that you're highlighting, you can see what their strength is and you can see what their weakness is and you can see if you can steal from them because you get a thief in your party eventually. You really need that in FF7. Yeah. I hope there's a mod for that because I yes. wasted so many steal turns <laughs> in that game. Um, but just having that stuff all be visible and like not needing to like use a turn to figure that kind of stuff out for yourself. It's really nice. It's really yeah. nice. Uh, 
they they strike a really nice balance. Okay. Also, the game isn't easy by any stretch. No. I mean, the, the the combat has been and can continue to be very difficult, even with all of these concessions and all of these modernizations. And I think that's the biggest thing is this is a game that is you know definitely an homage to a lot of like hits from the era, the the most successful Final Fantasies, Chrono Trigger, things like that. But also is fully aware of the fact that it's 2022, and and you need to you need to understand that the medium has evolved since then. Yeah, I think you're right that this game is taking all the pieces that worked. I think also like make sanding off the edges of of like quality of life improvements. Yeah. But then also doubling down on what the game is like asking you to consider in combat mm-hmm. just makes everything feel more intentional. Yeah. You know, like I think it is it is a weirdly a harder game than Chrono Trigger. But it's giving you all the tools you need and all the visibility you need to overcome the challenge. Yeah, yeah. I, I will say that this game does get bogged down in some of the issues that I have with a lot of RPGs where there are a couple mechanics here and there that get introduced that I think are too complex. And and there's a there's a Discord thread right now of a bunch of people who are checking this game out. And, and some people are really into it and some people aren't. And that's kind of the thing about some of these mechanics. Everyone's into the game, to be clear. Everyone like loves this game. But there are a couple of mechanics here and there. Like, for example, they do have a, like, gem crafting materia slotting system that they introduce eventually. Orb mint, if we're talking trails. Yeah. <laughs> Orb mints or um, spiritite, I think, if it's if it's uh, a Tokyo RPG factory oh, yeah. game. That's right. That is, like, too complex and not explained very well, I think, uh, which is a little bit of a bummer. But if you engage with it, like, there's some interesting ideas in there. There, you know, you can collect resources and use them to, like, upgrade your weapons and armor and things like that, which I have found to be a little bit overwhelming also, where, like, I don't know how much I'm supposed to be holding on to these resources and, like, if it's worth investing in upgrading this stuff, if I'm just going to find new stuff eventually. Like, all of these classic problems that I think still crop up in a lot of games like this. But for the most part, I would say like 80% of the time, there has been a real like consideration about why or if a mechanic should be included in this game. And most of the time that works out and is great. Yeah. All I've seen so far that I'm not super into is like some of the improvements are like, now it's 1.8 times more effective. I'm like, just give me double. Who are we yeah. kidding? Like, <laughs> yeah, just yeah, give yeah. me clean numbers that look nice, you know? Yeah. What is this 1.8 stuff? Yeah, sometimes being able to upgrade some of your skills and having them just be like stat increases are a little bit of a bummer. But like every once in a while, there are some skills that you upgrade and like that skill will go from, you know, hey, this is going to do three times damage to one enemy to now this is three times damage to all enemies. Now that I like. Now that's good yeah. shit, yeah. you know? Or like, oh, this is going to poison somebody for two turns to now this poison somebody for 10 turns. Like, oh, that's going to last the whole combat. Yeah, I feel like like incremental damage increase should just be like I leveled up and the stats that improved in the background. Yeah, yeah. If I'm consciously choosing what I want to spend points on, it should be something like that. Yeah, that's my opinion. This game takes one of my favorite things from Chrono Trigger also, though, speaking of leveling, which is uh, you level up by beating bosses. Great. Yeah. Incredible. Like That was the thing. Well, you that's actually talking. a Chrono Cross thing. Is, in, wasn't that in Chrono Trigger where you get the star and that's like how you that's level up? Chrono Cross. Chrono Trigger was just levels. Really? Yeah. Chrono Cross is the star level. That's interesting. It's yeah. weird that I'm conflating those two. Yeah. I mean, um, hey, time is a construct. Yeah. Anyway. Do that's what could have been in another realm. That's in this game. Yeah. And it's good. I think that it coincides with like in D&D, it's like often sometimes you'll decide like, are we leveling up by experience or like by story beats yeah it's like okay we just did this session you level up kind of thing yeah i think sometimes i prefer one over the other but for a story driven largely point to point b jrpg i i think increasing level by story beat is good yeah because it's not you don't have to grind yeah 
Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. It's so cool and works so well for this game. And as you saw, because you walked in while I was in the middle of an optional boss fight that I had found. With a, a bunch of veggies. A bunch of vegetables. Uh, the Food Rocks crew. They uh, they gave me an extra level because I went and sought out that boss and then beat them. And that was really cool. Yeah. Stuff like that's great. You know, like, yeah, g- give me the option to like you know worm my way into over leveling sometimes absolutely uh, just just for fun and and reward me for doing so you know absolutely uh, yeah i think um i feel like grinding is also something that is like kind of hit or miss for me like usually yes, it has a negative like connotation mm-hmm. but i do think there are games that pull it off i think like smt and dragon quest weirdly I, it's about level setting the expectation and like dragon quest often uses grinding to be the beats of the story that are kind of like up to you mm-hmm. you know yeah. it's like well what happened on the way to the next town like oh well the hero found a few slimes and got stronger <laughs> right and in smt like the game is so combat focused that that's like why you're playing it right yeah um but otherwise it's like if you're just asking me to sort of repeat that's not as fun yeah 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 the the thing i really appreciate about dragon quest specifically um and 11 was was the most that I felt this is like I would sit down to play 11 specifically be like, oh, this is going to be a grinding session. Like I'm going to put yeah. on my favorite podcast and I'm just going to like go do some battles for like half an and, hour. And, then, and there's a lot of like there are mechanics within Dragon Quest that make grinding fun. Like yeah. when you find a metal slime, it's so exciting. It's exhilarating. Yeah. yeah it's like one of the best feelings in video Killing games. A, a king metal slime <laughs> was more cathartic than any Elden Ring boss. <laughs> And I'm I'm only half kidding. Yeah. Game of the year. Game of the year. Dragon King, King Metal Slime. King Metal Slime. <laughs> Do you still have the, the Metal Slime I got you? Yeah, he's right there. Oh my God. Look at him. Yeah, he's up. He's he's right in front of us. I love that he's kind of heavy. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a weight to him. Yeah. yeah. It's fun. Yeah. Chain, Chained Echoes is, uh, I mean. I it, almost thought you were going to say Chain of Memories and I would have nodded. <laughs> That's the time of night it is. Like, oh yeah, Chain of Memories. Chain of Memories. Yeah, yeah Ch- Chained Echoes is uh, brilliant. I, I started playing on Game Pass, and uh, as with most indie games that launch across multiple platforms, I played it for an hour on Game Pass, and then was like, absolutely not, and then picked it up on Switch. I'm playing on Switch now. Uh, I'm really excited to get further in. I feel like I, I'm really impressed at the very least how they are treating homage. Yeah. You know, and I think like I think the combat is really interesting. I think the story is off to a cool start. I imagine we'll talk about it again, but I think it's it's really impressive so far. Yeah, I'm really loving it. Yeah, yeah my, my my two my two gripes just because I feel I feel like I, I can't only be effusive about this is is the mechanics that I feel like are a little bit overbearing. And I think a thing that you're going to run into because I've run into it is the world sometimes is so big that I I find myself getting lost. And that's where it feels a little less intentional. I see. Some Sometimes when I'm like moving from point A to point B, I'm like, there's so much going on here. Luckily, the map is really good. And that's kind of that's kind of a good map. A lot of that everything a good map can fix everything um but i mean for the most part this game is fucking killing it and i can't wait to play more of it Me and too. talk about it more yeah um we, we were talking right before the show about like oh what's gonna be the january bonus maybe it's chained echoes Hi. who knows yeah someone in the discord tagged me and they're like january bonus i'm like i haven't started yet give me a second <laughs> i'm busy <laughs> don't you know i'm on new jersey transit yeah i'm on i'm, I'm in the middle of santa con right now don't tag me about this shit <laughs> Why does Santa say bro canonically? <laughs> bro, bro, bro. Merry Christmas. All right. We got to wrap up. Oh, fuck. Sorry. Is that the latest we've ever found the episode title? <laughs> hey, thank you so much for listening. This is the game of the year Eve episode, I guess, kind of. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very excited for next week. 
This is also a lot of fun. I, I was happy to be here in person with you. Yeah. Um, thanks for being here. If you like the show, Into the Cast that Online is our hub for everything. Uh, we just recently released our patron bonus, uh, the Advent Children uh, watch along. That was like kind of an experimental idea that was fairly risky. I'm really glad <laughs> a lot of you have reached out to say how much you enjoyed it. I'm really glad people seem to like it. Yeah. It was a lot of fun to make. At that, least. Was, that was really fun. Yeah. We had a really good time with that. Uh, I think that that might be something we do again. I don't know like how often, but I think that like we now know like how to do it and that it works. Yeah. So like if there's another film that that captures us, then that could be fun. Yeah. What other what other movies can we talk about? Well, there's The Mask. Uh, uh-huh. There's Son of the Mask. Uh-huh. And uh, that's about it. Ratatouille. Ratatouille. <laughs> um, but anyway. Uh, Before Link- you ask, I'm not doing cats. I'm where we're, yeah we did cats already yeah i think i think we're i think we've done all about cats that we are capable of yeah i i want to make it a point to not revisit that movie <laughs> <laughs> you know what could be fun no 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 you made your point i was gonna say we should watch the vhs of the musical <laughs> <laughs> but that actually has artistic merit you mm. know mm-hmm. in some way mm. the movie is is a is a black hole yeah um, anyway, um, you links know, to the Patreon are, are on into the cast online. Uh, if you like the show, share with a friend. Yes, please. Uh, also, you can write a review on Apple Podcasts that also helps out a lot. Rate us on Spotify. Uh, you know the drill. Um, yeah. We are still not sure what next month's bonus is going to be, but we have Game of the Year on the horizon. Very exciting. We also have our immortality uh, spoiler chat for the patrons that's coming soon. Uh, I'm excited to record that because right we just recorded this episode yes I've been drinking wine the whole time yeah, I, I haven't had, had a, a, a sip of water yeah we, we are dehydrated haven't tired eaten. haven't eaten any pizza <laughs> which is re- weirdly the best mindset to go into immortality with yeah with this with this crackling virtual fireplace there's on a the virtual TV. fireplace which I imagine will also be a, there's always been a virtual fireplace at Godi as well yeah yeah all right well that's it Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. TWG, the worst garbage, the online.